Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Friday morning, June 17th, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. You want some good news this morning? Yes. Please. Yano, find us a good station because I don't have any good news. Oh. There, there's nothing good over oh, here no. to talk about when it comes to the economy. Rev wants to talk about Paul McCartney on concert on tour. Yeah. Uh, did a, a concert yesterday, last night. Yeah, last and, night. And had Bruce on stage with him and... East Rutherford, New Jersey. Yep. Uh, that's your stomping ground, right, Freehold? Or close to your stomping ground. Um, East Rutherford is where the Meadowlands were torn down and MetLife Stadium was constructed. And um, Oh, Paul's still playing stadiums. What do you know? Well, I mean, he's still playing stadiums with Springsteen and Bon Jovi in New Jersey. <laughs> uh, we're, we're convinced that McCartney told Springsteen before, uh, Bruce, we're not singing but one song now. I mean, we're not singing six or eight songs. These four-hour <laughs> concerts are nonsense. I'm 80. I mean, you're 73 or four, and I'm older than you are. So we're not getting up here playing getting. Uh, that doesn't have a G on the end. Yeah. Got one at the beginning, not at the end. <laughs> uh, we're not. We're not getting up on stage and playing for four hours. Um, but but a big deal. Uh, McCartney on, I guess, Rev. I mean, who knows now uh, whether this is his farewell tour or not. Um, That's not. And Rev's being critical. Free old Rev says McCartney can't hit those high notes like he used. I said he's 80. I mean, he's 80 years old, still traveling around the world, playing rock concerts. Uh, and Rev's saying, but he can't hit those high notes. Um, well, so McCartney's on tour. Buzz Lightyear's gay. Um, is there anything else we need to talk about I, this morning? I, I don't think Buzz Lightyear is gay. I think he may be. <laughs> I, I, I think there's a kiss in uh, the latest Toy Story. I really have not sequel, read. Uh, sequel of the sequel of the sequel of the sequel. Anything other than the headlines about this, and, and I don't even really know. So what do the what headlines say? Well, the headlines lead me to speculate that Buzz Lightyear may be coming out of the closet. Or, or something something gay happened in the new, new Lightyear movie. Did Buzz Lightyear kiss another um, uh, <laughs> another <what>? computer-created <laughs> man or not? I don't know. Okay, but that that's a big mystery of science. Yeah. We need to know the answer to that. Um, you're a big, excuse me, you're a big McCartney fan, big mm-hmm. Disney fan. Mm-hmm. I expected you to know that McCartney performed with Springsteen. You did. I did. I also that. expected you to know uh, the answer to whether Buzz Lightyear's come out of the closet or not. No, that I didn't know. So he may be more than a sad, strange little man, right? <laughs> right. I mean, he could be more than just a sad, strange little man. He could be a sad, strange little switch hitting of a man. We don't know uh, what what lies in there. And, what and, you, and you just repeated a, a line from Woody from Toy Story, which yeah. reminded me of the story I did see yesterday about Tom Hanks. Uh, there's a video. So, whoa, 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 whoa. Who said you're a sad, strange little man? Woody. Woody said that of Buzz. Right. Okay. Right. That, that's where I'm headed. I mean, yep. he, if he referred to Buzz as a sad, strange that's little right. man. Um, I'm adding that Buzz may be a sad, strange, homosexual man. We don't <laughs> I, I know don't, that. No, We're I, speculating. I just read the headline. And know. there's a lot of drama surrounding Disney. Um, you said Tim Allen's not doing the voice of Buzz Lightyear this year. That's what I read. Because Tim Allen is a fairly conservative comedian. And Disney has no tolerance he's, he's for a conservative. He's admitted Hollywood yeah, I mean, he, conservative. He's kind of a Trump guy. Yeah. You know, he was a Trumpster out in Hollywood. So there's a revolution, excuse me, a revelation happening right before our very eyes. Um, it's it's kind of sort of big news that McCartney would invite Springsteen on stage in New Jersey. Um, it's real big news speculating whether Buzz Lightyear may or may not be. Um, we, we expected Buzz to eventually become woke. Right? I mean, we expected that. Politically correct, woke. Um, I don't know that we expected him to kiss another robotic dude on the, um, <laughs> or toy dude. Maybe it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, 
is it Ken? <laughs> but is that the shit? Excuse me, the kiss they share. Is it is it a kiss between Ken of Toy Fame and Buzz Lightyear of Toy Fame? I don't know. Okay. There's also a Barbie and Ken movie. So what is it? it? I mean, Friel's got some some answers. I don't think, I don't I don't know if it's Buzz. But is it Buzz? I don't think it's Buzz. I don't think it's Buzz. So it's some it, it's a minor player. I mean, it's another toy in the bottom of the toy box. The kid doesn't play with. I mean, okay, there you go. Breaking news, Rev. What is your uh, what is your credit card? Do you have a Disney credit card? I do. And Freehold knows this, and not you. I mean, are you not in some club that gets like <laughs> like like real time emails or, or notifications about what Disney's up to or not? I, you know, I'm kind of falling out with Disney. That's okay. the thing. Oh, you know? he's falling out with well, Disney. You know, they've done. Some... What you gonna do with all those reward points, I, Rev? I know. I spent years trying to earn up the reward. What you points. gonna do with those reward points? Well, you, you conservative stalwart, you. Know. You conservative warrior, you. What are you going to do with those um, reward points? Uh, okay, goody. Goody is all I've got to say yeah, for you really? Disney loyalists who have all of a sudden found yourself in a quandary between your um, political opinions and whether or not Disney is the company you thought they uh, were. Yeah, they're a company you thought they were. They're a woke, um, kind of uh, evolving, politically correct company um, that needs a big change of heart. I mean, they really need serious. I think Disney's in trouble. Uh, I think Disney's lost its way. They've tried to become far more political than they needed to be. And I guess the, um, I would say the, uh, the cherry on top of the Sunday of political correctness and wokeness is Buzz Lightyear kissing another robotic dude. Um, we'll see whether it's Buzz or not in due time. We wait suspensefully with bated breath <laughs> on what may or may oh, yeah. not happen with Buzz Lightyear. Somebody's on the phone. Yep. Okay. Early in the morning. Let's go there. We have Verd in Marlboro County. Hey, Verd. Good morning, man. How's it going? Hey, Verd. I'm uh, still amazed about Russell Fires win uh, Tuesday. I mean, it's just uh, Ken's been around politics a long time, or all of us have. And uh, to, to win like that, to win outright uh, with five, six quality people running against each other, that's still amazing. But this morning, we'll talk about a very important election we got coming up in two weeks, uh, June 28th, the runoff. Uh, with uh, Ellen Weaver and and Kathy Manis, and of course I'm endorsing uh, Ellen Weaver because she's my friend. Uh, we've had many conversations about education since last December. Uh, she reached out to me a couple of months ago to look into a bill in Columbia, and we did, and we got back up with each other that afternoon. And I was just amazed that she, you know we both came up with uh, stuff in the bill that um, that was important, and uh, for her to get back that quick the same day. Uh, I think Ellen Weaver's the right fit at the right time for the parents and children in South Carolina. And I think uh, that the conversation we have, she's just got some amazing goals. I think uh, her main goal will be to make the leaders, uh, children the leaders of, of tomorrow South Carolina. And uh, like I said, I think Ellen is the right fit at the right time for South Carolina. I hope all my friends in the 7th District and across South Carolina, you know, we need to come out in uh, two weeks on this runoff and support Ellen Weaver. Thank you, Verd. Appreciate that. We're trying. I reached out to Rev yesterday. I uh, reached out to Rev. That's some, you know, we reach out to one another a lot during the day. I reached out to Rev yesterday and said, let's try to um, secure two interviews uh, with Manis and with Weaver. Let's see if we can get them to come to the studio. Um, our challenge here at Wake Up, excuse me. Yeah, I'm almost said good morning, PD. Our challenge here at Wake Up Carolina is we're in the PD. And the PD is just not a hotbed for Republican politics. It's not. When you're a statewide, statewide candidate, right. you're thinking about, you know, Greenville. You're thinking about Lexington. You're thinking about Buford. You're thinking about Ori. 
we have these um these unbelievably populated areas within our state and overwhelmingly voting Republican. So when state, excuse me, when you have statewide candidates allocate time and resources, it's not that they don't care about you. They care about you as much as they do anybody else. I think, I hope, um, they just have to, um, you know, allocate time to these areas that have more and more Republican voters. And we just don't have that here in the PD. It's a, um, I mean, I think Donald Trump, if I'm not mistaken, I know he lost the city of Florence. I think he may have won Florence County, but by a small margin, I know he didn't win in, in a lot of the surrounding counties. Um, so if you're a statewide candidate, where do you go? You go to Ori, you go to Lexington, you go to Greenville, you go to um, Beaufort. I mean, th- those are where the, the Republican primary voters are, but we're going to try our best because we've garnered somewhat because of you. I mean, there's nothing that we've done because of you. We've garnered a, a statewide reputation and if you make your way around the state you better go see wake up carolina now that's not because of us i mean we are incredibly average at what do we do it's because of you our listeners who have been loyal and dedicated to this nonsense that we uh perform every morning for four hours and i know that to be the case because i hear it some of the scuttlebutt out there amongst people running statewide um hey if you're going through there you better stop in you better call in. You better talk to Ken or Dave or Mike or somebody else at Community Broadcasters because they got this show, man, and this show's got this loyal following, this big following in the area. So, um, yeah, the, the only reason, the only reason some of the statewide candidates give us the time of day here in the PD is because of you and your mo- motivation, your um, intensity about Republican politics. Now, you got your phone out and wanted to say something, but, but I, I just got a text that we got it wrong. It was Woody who said about Buzz, you're a sad, strange little man. I think we said it was Buzz who said about Woody. No, Woody said it about Buzz. I'll say Woody yeah. said it yeah. about Buzz. We yeah. had it backwards right. to begin with. That's right. Uh, we never weak. had it backwards, did we? No, um, no, we got it right. Okay. That's what I said. So Buzz said to Woody, you're a sad, strange little man. Woody said, or, or did Woody yeah. say yeah, to no. Buzz? Um, oh, I see. I think I think it was it was Buzz saying it to Woody. It was I Buzz saying say it, it to Woody. You're a sad, strange little man. That's a big yeah. deal. We don't want to get that yeah. wrong. I mean, yeah. you know, Springsteen and McCartney, who cares? <laughs> you know, they performed together last <laughs> night. And that was- Two rich dudes, right? Two rich. Hey, here you go. You ready? Two rich Democrats. Imagine that. <laughs> that play uh, that play music for a living. Yeah. On stage. And it made a lot of money playing music yeah. for a living on stages all around the world. So Woody said it to Buzz. You're a sad, strange little man. No, I think Buzz said it to Woody. Okay, you think Buzz said it to Woody. The man that has a Disney credit card, been to Disney, (laughs) stayed on the grounds where people like the Pope have stayed. Um, (laughs) Some of these hotels would have uh, monorails that run through. Have you ever stayed on the the grounds? Yeah. Have you ever stayed in the the hotel with a monorail running through the hotel? Um, No. Okay. Contemporary. But there's a hotel down there, I think. I mean, I didn't stay there because I knew I was from Pamplico and we weren't allowed to stay in places as fancy schmancy as that. We stayed, I think, somewhere in... Uh, Decatur, Georgia, and just drove in. You know, to, to, to Orlando that morning. Then we found a place we could afford in Decatur, so yeah. we just drove the uh, just a short drive from Decatur into, into Orlando and Disney. You know, I did look this up. So it says, uh, "Lightyear's fellow space ranger Alicia comes home from a mission and kisses her significant other, who is a, a woman." So Buzz is not coming out of the closet. Buzz has yeah, an acquaintance, right? Yeah. And say that again, his space friend? Yeah, Lightyear's fellow space ranger, Alicia. Alicia. Comes home from a mission, kisses her significant other, who is also a woman. Okay. So that's the scene, I guess. So Disney's decided what a woman is? (laughs) There you you go. Does Disney have biologists 
on the production staff of this latest Toy Story movie because if they don't, I don't put any faith in it. You've got to be a biologist in America today to know clearly, um, precisely what a woman is. Is somebody on the phone again? 843-661-0937. We'll take this call, then our first break. Boudreaux in Orangeburg listening to WTQS this morning. Good morning. Well, you kind of beat me to the punch as a, uh, in the entertainment business myself as a stand-up comedian. I got to be up to speed on this kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, I knew it was a lesbian kiss. I didn't know who or the details you just shared. Uh, but it was most definitely Buzz that called Woody. Because Woody screamed at him, you are a toy. You are a child's plaything. And uh, Buzz came back with, and you are a sad, strange little man. There you go. There you go. Okay. We've got Buzz that straight. To, uh, now, you talk about them old-timers getting on that stage. Listen, that ain't nothing. The nature boy, kiss-stealing, wheeling-dealing, you know, jet-flying, limousine-riding, Rolex. Sorry. on the floor. He's getting in the ring again at 73. <laughs> I can't do anything but laugh. Ric Flair's going to wrestle again. Um, not run his mouth, but he's always no. been good at that. He's been prolific. At running his mouth and promoting wrestling, what? so at seventy three, he's back in the ring. One one last match, and uh, it's supposed to be, from what I understand, a six man tag match, and one of the participants is Ricky Morton of the Rock and Roll Express, which is in his mid sixties, his own self. <laughs> a lot of wrestlers are scared he's gonna die. Flair's gonna die in the ring. He's got a pacemaker for God's sake. But I'll be honest with you, it's a miracle that he's alive with the lifestyle he's lived. And hell, if he dies in the ring, that's probably how he'd want to go out. Yeah. I mean, I want to go out with a good story, you know, like my granddaddy. He got shot in the back by a jealous husband, but he had a good story, to, you know, when he, you know, got killed. Anyway, go Rick Flair. I'm a Nature Boy fan from way back, and uh, so Four Horsemen for Life and all that stuff. And uh, no, Buzz ain't gay, but uh, I, I wasn't sure if it, you know, sometimes there's actual people in the Toy Story movie, so I didn't know if it was going to be people or a couple of toys, but I'm glad you shed some light on it. But I knew it was supposed to be a lesbian kiss. Then again, Buzz. Could have, you know, decided to identify as as a woman. It, it's just crazy. You got you got dangly parts, or you don't got dangly parts. Those are the genders. That's how we do it. So there. Thank you, Boudreaux. Uh, Appreciate it. Good to hear from Boudreaux. <laughs> heard from Boudreaux. Good, while. Good to hear from uh, from Boudreaux there. Yeah, we've we've got it. We've got it set now. Flair's wrestling again at seventy three, and Buzz Lightyear ain't gay. So that's the. Um, I mean, we could we could sign off now, but that's a complete show. When you settle and, that. and Buzz is definitely the one who told Woody, he, you're a strange little man. Yeah, and there's some choreographing that goes in to wrestling. Um, and if the choreographing is to have Flair die in the ring, they better hope that it isn't real life. Because Flair's 73 with a pacemaker in a wrestling match. Uh, you got to be careful there. I would imagine Flair knows to be careful there. Uh, and, and Boudreaux, as crazy as this may sound, that's probably where Flair should die. To be honest, I mean, whether it's choreographed and staged or not, I mean, if you've dedicated your life to that, and he has, I mean, you know, he's been a, a world renowned entertainer, whether you like him or not. Um, <laughs> when you get to the point of believing that wrestling may be a little more choreographed than it is or staged and choreographed, I will never call it fake. You know, some, some say wrestling's fake. I'll never call it fake. It's highly choreographed stage and a theatric production and nobody, and I mean this, nobody ever did it better um, than the nature boy. 
661-1037. So Tom Hanks, who voiced Woody in the Toy he Story movies. He's stuck on Disney. He still well, does. I'm telling you. It just, Rev is a Disney loyalist and apologist. It, it just made me think because this just happened the other day. He was walking in a crowd somewhere, came out of a restaurant or something, and a crowd got around him, and they were pretty aggressive and almost knocked his wife down, and he turned around. It's on video. And grabbed a guy and said, you know, back the blank off. Tom Hanks? Yeah. Didn't he play Colonel Tom Parker in the latest Elvis I heard blockbuster? Yeah, I heard Why did they take so long to do a blockbuster about El- the life of Elvis Presley? I mean, we had documentaries and stories and, you know, a lot of things, but we never had a, a true blockbuster or an attempt at a blockbuster about the life of Elvis Presley. Yeah, um, and we're having strange. one now. And I think Tom Hanks had to gain, what, 100 pounds to play the role of Colonel Tom Parker, who reminds me, the Colonel Tom Parker-Elvis relationship reminds me of the Mike Tyson-Don King relationship. For me to get paid, you got to perform. And I don't care if you're ready or not. Give him a handful of pills and put him on that stage. I've got a boat payment due the 15th of this month same thing with don king and mike tyson and i believe there's a special place in hades for people like don king and colonel tom parker who so abuse someone's natural god-given talent take a break back in just a minute eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number someone's on the phone let's go there dale in florence good morning dale morning guys ken you made a comment a few minutes ago that you guys were incredibly average now Sort of another word for average is normal. And while I'm willing to Mike and Dave, Ken, I don't know that anybody's ever going to use the words Ken Art and normal in the same sentence. <laughs> just, just say it. Um, but I think that's what makes you guys so good. Um, I don't understand. So I've always heard and read that homosexuals make up, what, 2 to 3% of our population? Why do I have to have homosexual stuff in 100% of my entertainment? I, 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 and it's TV commercials now, and it's you can't turn the TV on without seeing some sort of homosexual activity. And I don't understand why the left feels the need to cram 3% of our population down 100% of our throats. Or is that just me? You guys have a great weekend. Thank you, Dale. Appreciate that. I've never understood the business logic. Why would I show favoritism? If I'm in a, in a free market, I'm trying to you know find a market share. Why would I offend 98? Let's say 2% of Americans are, are homosexual. I don't believe that. I mean, I don't think two of every 100 people are gay. I just don't buy that. I'm sorry. I don't know what the number is. I just don't believe it's two of every 100. Uh, I could be wrong. You know, I'm a country boy from uh, born in the 60s. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. But I've never understood the business logic behind a, a company, a for-profit company uh, in the free enterprise system saying, we're going to potentially offend. I didn't say offend everybody because everybody's not offended by it. We're going to potentially offend the 98% straight people by making as a priority our respect and, and reverence for these people who live uh, alternate lifestyles. I'll just be there. And look, I'm a live and let live Republican. I mean, I'm kind of a libertarian Jeffersonian. I don't much care what other people do. And I mean that sincerely. Um, celebrate and live your life as you choose. Um, just don't try to taint the normalcy of the marketplace. And I've never understood why a company believes, um, but, but we've got kind of a, a different sort of animal in our society today where we, uh, we've been convinced that certain groups are, um, 
you know, they they've they've had a better than than fair shake, and they've got to give some of that back. And uh, white guilt. I mean, we hear that sometimes. We hear uh, there are a lot of languages we speak in ways trying to describe or explain some of these things. But as a business person, I always looked. I mean, we talked a second ago about Wake Up Carolina. The biggest challenge we have with Wake Up Carolina is the market we broadcast in. I mean, we're a conservative, um, conservative voice in an area that does. Um, I mean, it's, there's a lot of Republicans here, but there are a lot who aren't. Um, we live in a plus eight to ten Republican state. Our market is probably about fifty-fifty. I mean, the, the people that can—I didn't say do—the people that can hear our voice when we broadcast every morning. It's about 50-50. So we're a less Republican uh, broadcasting area than Horry County, than the upstate, than Beaufort, than Lexington, than some of these other areas. Rev and I talk a lot about this, you know, the uh, the overperformance, underperformance factor. Um, you got to consider about, you know, where it is you're selling. Where You know, you can't get the same price for a hotel room in, in Georgetown that you can in Manhattan. I mean, there, there's certain market realities that you have to face and, and deal with. Um, but I, you know, Dale, I don't know. I mean, I don't understand why a company like Disney, I'll tell you this, um, Disney probably has such a market share that they believe they can get away with anything. They have such cash on hand that they believe they can get away with anything. They have access to an enormous credit line that if they do stub their toe, they can kind of survive and, and deal with whatever comes their way. And, and they've admitted it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and they, maybe, they have executives that in these Zoom calls, remember, they, they were leaked, and they, they've got an agenda, and they are pushing it. They bought a lot of arrogance in the marketplace. I mean, they bought a right <laughs> to be very – I mean, they have. I mean, they, they've done an that's, enormous well, – That's I mean, a funny way to well, put that's it. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. I mean, you know, in, in my meetings with – and I don't meet with executives at Disney, obviously, but in some of the meetings, you know, we discuss about what we should do. Should we bob or weave, ebb or flow? And we'll say, you know, they're an arrogant group, and, and it's always – it's inevitable somebody in my group will say – uh, they can be, you know, that they can be incredibly arrogant right now. Now, nothing's forever. And I think every company has a death cycle and every company eventually uh, meets its demise. Nothing is forever. I don't care how spectacular Disney is. I don't care what sort of market share they have. They are a force to be reckoned with. You know it. I know it. Everybody knows it. If any company can try things in insulting the marketplace, it is a company like Disney. Um, I'll use our rival. We're, we're Pepsi here, and, and we appreciate everything Pepsi's done. But Coca-Cola believed that they were such a powerful force, they could just try to throw out the original formula, come up with you know with New Coke. What was it called? New Coke or Coke New yeah. or, or whatever it was. That blew up in their face. Now, to their credit, they were smart enough to say, hey, people don't like it. Let's go back to doing uh, the, the business genius in Pepsi. To me, is they've never tried that. You know, They're like, hey, we've got a market share. We've got a product people like. We're going to continue to try and service that market share as well as we possibly can and try to get year-over-year year sales growth. And, you know, our market share increases a little bit here and a little bit there. I mean, that that's a very uh, survivable business model. But I don't know the answer to that. I don't, you know, I don't work in a company that has that advantage. I mean, every company I work in or have been a part of, you, you've got to be very careful and specific about what you do, why you do it and how it affects your profitability by losing or gaining a certain market share. Let's go to the phone. Up next is Breeze. Good morning, Breeze. Kenny, you know, you were Dale at BlackRock. You know, you started following the money. And what is the, what is the uh, vaccines and some other things related to COVID that BlackRock was was involved with? They were the largest owner of, they owned 8% of Pfizer. I'm sorry, 8% of Johnson & Johnson and about 3.5% of Pfizer. That may not sound like much. But that's millions and millions of shares, billions and billions of dollars. 
it's enough, isn't it? It's a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's enough for them to have influence at all. Uh, well, it appears that they've also gotten involved. Well, it more than appears. They also have a considerable amount of market share at our big oil corporations. And um, it also it, it's, it seems that Exxon was planning on increasing production 25%. But Blackwater put some of it. also, you know, Blackwater's in the Biden administration, which you pointed out. But Blackwater also... Got it. Got has got a hold of Shell and Exxon. Black Rock, not Blackwater. Blackwater's the defense contract. You're talking yeah, about Black yeah, Rock. Black Rock. Black Rock. Yeah, I get it confused. I got a buddy worse than Blackwater. But yeah, Black Rock is now they have a, they have a lot of influence and a lot of stock, and they got people on the board at Exxon Mobil and Shell, and they stopped the increase in production. So. Follow that buddy on BlackRock and the oil companies. There's a lot going on here. These corporations, and you know, and you can say what you want about that old 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 boy from the um, that comes on after you guys. What's his name? Glenn uh, Beck. Glenn Beck. He's on that ESG thing, man. And that's what a lot of this is going on. Now, don't get me wrong. If you look at Biden's campaign, I will make I will make it where nobody drills, nobody refines, nobody sells any oil. That was a CNN debate. But he was debating for the Democrat nomination. So um, this whole thing, you know, is being done to us on purpose. And like I said, there's no desire to fix it. Also, I'm kind of curious. It seems like there's a heck of a lot of um, food production and meat production plants that are mysterious and catching fire, doesn't it? It does. I've seen that. And then we've got this, um, the cattle dying in uh, some of the ranching yeah. areas of America out in the West. Um, I think tens of thousands of cattle have died with um, you know, not having water, um, I guess well, heat. Not having food. Yeah, not having food, water, and, and just dying of heat. Yeah, right on. But anyway, you know, you're better at this than I am. But uh, look at BlackRock and see what see how much they're involved in the price of this uh, wall of gas. I got you. Te- thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. Breeze sent me a text last night, I think, about BlackRock and Exxon. I'll spend the weekend trying to figure out, you know, where, where those connections are. Uh, BlackRock's buying a bunch of residential housing. Hmm. Goldman Sachs as a, a residential, excuse me, a um, a housing fund, a fund centered around uh, housing, and they're buying a lot of residential properties all over the country, um, blocks of neighborhood, blocks of housing. I don't know if you saw this or not, but new construction is down fourteen point four percent. It's it's happening, guys. I'm sorry, it's happening. I think we're in the early stages of this. Um, I don't know this next financial meltdown. Um, I've tried to explain it the best way I know. Um, I actually read an article last night, might've been the Mrs. Institute I was reading. Uh, that's kind of a libertarian leaning website. Um, they're, they're talking about the number of zombie companies and, um, Peter Thiel has said this before that, um, he believes the number of zombie companies has become a worldwide phenomenon. And he thinks that 10% of American, excuse me, 10% of global businesses, uh, publicly traded global businesses, um, cannot service the interest on their debt out of their profits if debt gets to four or five percent i mean he thinks they can service it at two or three percent as long as we've got you know just real 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 cheap money um but he believes and he's done some evaluation and analysis uh michael burry is really beginning to speak out loudly about zombie companies um they all believe that out of the 2008 quantitative easing well i mean we've been in an era of quantitative easing I want to do a Facebook post that I really want to try to do a GI Joe with a Kung Fu grip explanation of negative interest rates and 
quantitative easing and quantitative tightening. Uh, I've tried to think about it. It's almost like, uh, you know, uh, it, the feds speak for dummies. I mean, it's kind of what I'm shooting for. Uh, and I've studied enough of this, and I've tried to understand it to the point that I think I could articulate a G.I. Joe with a Kung Fu grip opinion on some. I'm obviously, I don't worry the Fed. I don't understand every nuance and intricacy. But but when Jerome Powell says that new, new housing start is down 14.4%, he then clouds everything after that. You know, that there's a bunch of mumbo jumbo and political speak that follows that. Larry Summers had just said yesterday on Bloomberg that um, where we are today will require the same amount of disinfl- disinflation as Volcker did in the late 70s and early 80s. And that's when we got to 20% interest rates. That's what disinflation means, raising the interest rates. We're at about 1.75 now. I mean, just get your arms around that. We're at about 1.75 now, the Fed rate. We had a Fed rate of 20%. And Larry Summers, who kind of called this, and Summers is not a conservative voice. Um, Summers is probably not a Keynesian economist. He's a moderate, been around the block kind of uh, economic uh, analyst or, or pundit. But he says that from what he sees out there, and we see the same thing he sees, he sees it through the lens of an economist, politically motivated. We see it through consumers. But Summers believes that we are in a an eerily similar place that we were in the Carter era when interest rates went to 20%. And his word, uh, the, the, the word of an economist, disinflation. And he says we're going to have to disinflate in a way that Volcker did in the late 70s and early 80s. That means a, a home loan is 20%. A car loan is 22%. Um, you got base prime, and then you got, you know, a point above prime, point and a half above prime, half point. Uh, they'll loan you the money at prime. Um, and the added element here is these great, uh, excuse me, after the Great Recession and in this era of quantitative easing, these zombie companies that have basically been propped up by, you know, 0% debt. I've got, I've got debt on my business, but the debt doesn't have very much interest and I can pay that out of profits, but I'm not profitable enough to pay interest on the principal if it goes to what I'd call traditional normal rates. I mean, obviously, 20% is not normal, but neither is zero. Now, that's where we've been since uh, the world blew up in 2008. And, and I hate to say this, guys, because I don't like to be the bearer of bad news. I don't see a plan B. I mean, I don't see a scenario B. I think it's already beginning. I think some of the um, some of the housing issues you're beginning to sense and see. I tell you anecdotally, got a friend in construction. Um, he's in the construction supply business, and he said that it, builders are beginning to get slow to pay. And they're good guys. They're good builders. They're competent people. They, they've been on time paying for about 10 years, and they're beginning to say, hey, can I get a little longer to pay? Can, can, um, can I get 60 days instead of 30 days? Can I get 90 days? instead of 60 days. And to me, that yeah, that's anecdotal. But the president yesterday said recession is not inevitable. Well, I mean, he reads a teleprompter. I mean, he, he, the, the president has no clue of what he's saying. Look, um, I, Dale said I'm not normal. Okay, I'm not normal. I'm stupid enough to say this. Trust me more than you do him. As much as I, <laughs> I say do. ain't y'all, trust me far more than you do him. I wouldn't him ride in a car with him driving. Are you kidding on, me? On matters rating, uh, related to the economy. Now, now, you know, his son and Barisma, and I don't know anything about uh, the truth and, and, and what may or may not have happened there. But when it comes to the economy, we all try to understand and function in. Trust me. I didn't say trust me 100%. Trust me more than you do him because he set the bar mighty, mighty low. Take a break. Back in a minute.
843-661-0937 is our number. A couple of calls. Let's go there. Here is Carl in the PD. Hey, Carl. Hey, what's going on, Ken? Hey, Carl. All right, I don't think you answered my question yesterday, so I'm going to give you a chance to answer it today. If, but if you did, I have something else. What's the question? Oh, okay. Uh, you need to tell right, – so you were saying yesterday that um, the – uh, the education system needs to be, you know, overhauled because it is doing a woeful job. And you said that there was problems with the education system that was preventing kids from learning. And I wanted you to um, to pinpoint what the edu- actual South Carolina education system was doing that was harming kids in society that the, there are and uh, I'll, I'll be a little more expressive i mean i think i touched on the proficiency score some of the data collected from about that there are about 18 school uh, about 16 school districts in south carolina that don't meet minimum standard when it comes to reading proficiencies uh when they when they do the test score evaluations i'll accept your argument that a lot of that needs to be taken care at home that a kid needs to go to school prepared and ready to learn that is not the school district's issue that is a parental problem you and i've discussed at length about the the breakdown of the family how the kid goes to school performs better if he comes from a conducive environment but there's still 16 school districts in our state that don't even meet minimum standard and are still being funded at whatever level they are and and parents should not no matter what sort of family you have that shit that that kid should go to a school believing that school is going to at least provide them the minimum standard of opportunity to receive an education to compete in the workforce okay well if i can make a, a comment on that um the low income districts and the high minority high poverty districts one they have the same standards to teach as all the other ones. And it's very difficult because there's a couple of things that's going on with those schools. One is that um, they end up getting more money from the government. Well, you know, it's because you're a lieutenant governor. They end up actually getting more money because they have high poverty and because they, and in a lot of cases, because they have, um, low test scores than other districts that perform better. Mm-hmm. Those other districts, um, to use to use your phrase, a lot of times the higher performing districts have to um, clean what they cook and kill eat what they kill or whatever. But they get those kids out of there with a, a very um, higher um, baseline of knowledge than the poor districts they do more with less they do more with less well they a lot of times they end up having more money but it's because they live in high high income areas and the tax base generates a higher advert that's right the tax base generates more money to spend on education but it has nothing that has nothing to do with the fact that those kids go home and get their work done and their parents um, make sure of that because there's a lot of a lot of districts in the state that don't have high tax bases and have involved parents and are rural poor districts, but the kids perform at a high level. But there are some that don't. 
Oh yeah, oh definitely. Now here's here's the ones that don't because the other thing that those those places are fighting is that you will have parents in these districts that are trying to increase their own household income. And a lot of times they will do this um through the children because if the cat is out of the bag that if you have a child that is in special education then you will get a social security disability check for that child and there are kid there are parents who i have proof of this that have steered their children to not do well on these tests particularly the ones you're talking about the state based tests to not do well on those to throw those tests so that they can establish um learning disabilities or behavioral disabilities or something that will trigger a um a, a special education provision for that child in different categories of it and that's actually how Timmonsville district got shut down because at the middle school and elementary school level those parents were coaching those kids to throw the test so that they could afford um shoes and clothes and just get money off of the kids having um IEPs and special education and uh they the kids call them slow checks and so that's what those uh, low performing high poverty districts are dealing with Carl, Carl we got a hard break top of the hour sorry to cut y'all back it. in just a minute Takes Mondays to make Fridays, 843-661-0937. You said something yesterday that was kind of interesting. You brought up the idea of a convention of states, but not for the traditional reasons. I mean, we've all talked about convention of states uh, for term limits and ballots, budget amendments and things like that. But you said you trade all of that in to have a convention of states to abolish the Fed. I, I really believe that. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've struggled with what is the biggest challenge facing the American people in matters relating to its government. And I, I told you a second ago, I've, I've, I'm not paying close attention to anything Joe Biden says anymore. I mean, there's some political theater there. There's some red meat there. But it's fairly insig- insignificant. I mean, no, nobody's so not listening even to the, much of anything. Not even when the president proclaims that a recession is not inevitable. Well, I mean, nobody takes him serious. I mean, but I'm he's trying the president. To, well, I mean, I, I get that. I mean, I, and some people are happy about that. But, but I don't. He's been a dunce all of his life. Now he's a dunce with dementia. I'm not listening to a dunce with dementia um, and what he has to say. Now, you're right. He's, a, he's an uber-powerful politician. He's probably still the most powerful man in the world. Um, I could easily argue Putin is today. And um, and Putin is wealthier today than he was when the war started. Uh, we worried about cutting his money off and cutting his money off and cutting his money off. We decided to not produce energy. <laughs> and the world depends more on Vladimir Putin. So, um, despite the egregious nature of his attack on Ukraine, I mean, he's raking in money like Russia never has before with, you know, the $118, $20, $25 a barrel oil. But yeah, I mean, I think when, you, when you're a business person and you have economic interest at risk, you, you begin to gravitate toward things that really matter. I don't read as much uh, about non-financial issues today because I think I see, you ask me, is there any scenario of which we escape? We wiggle off the hook. No, no. I mean, th- there is no scenario really? that this country doesn't at some point in time face economic and financial hardship. Now, I can hear an investor. 
with a 401k saying, what do you mean it's to come? It's already here. I mean, the market was 36,000. Now it's less than, than I'm talking about the Dow was 36,000. Now it's below 30,000. Um, I think the over under on the market is 22.5. I mean, I think there's another 7,500 point drop to be had. Um, and, and Rev, here's what's happened. Um, rising prices and cheap borrowing and this is once again GI Joe with the Kung Fu Grip. I'm being redundant with that theme, but but I want to I want to quantify what I'm saying with I'm not qualified to give an academic opinion on the economy. I'm not qualified to tell you um, from a from a in I don't know a place of intelligentsia. I didn't learn this in some sort of academic setting. So you know e equals M C squared. I get it. We live it. We understand it to some degree. But but the economy worries me because I see these things that are very evident to me and and how we didn't expect to get here is beyond belief and here's what's happened um the rising prices and cheap borrowing have basically maintained with government intervention some equilibrium but I mean, you know the the rising prices can we can stomach the rise in prices if cheap borrowing stays in place uh we ran through some numbers yesterday in december in December of 2021, guys, that's six months ago, a $300,000 mortgage cost you $1,265 a month on a 30-year fixed rate uh, traditional mortgage, $1,265. You know what that is today? Mortgage rates are up about 300 basis points. That mortgage today, that exact same mortgage, would cost you $1,800 hmm. a month. So you've got, um, in December, $15,180 going to your mortgage payment. Today, you've got 21,600. We used yesterday the 28% rule of thumb. Well, you know, the banker and some of these financial coaches say 28% of your, you know, uh, income can go toward your, your mortgage. So the person making $54,000 a year could afford that 300000 with that metric, could afford that $300,000 mortgage. Today, you got to make 77000 And here's why I'm so nervous. And here's why I believe we're headed for some really, really dark economic days we have maintained in some way, somehow, I mean, I think the, the Fed has so distorted realities in the marketplace that the equilibrium between rising prices and cheap interest, um, we've conned people for about as long as we can. We scammed uh, economic realities for about as long as we can scam. And if that has finally broken, there is no precedent. This is uncharted territory. There's never been an attempt to... Um, get the equilibrium back in play. And and I think, you know, the, the politicians will have to decide who would they rather have angry with them, donors or voters? The, the voters don't like $5 gasoline. The donor's not that bothered. I mean, he doesn't like it. But but if you're giving a candidate $3,200 or $3,500 or $2,300 or $1,000, if you're bundling, you know, $25,000, your lifestyle is not impaired nor impeded nor bothered much uh, by $5 a gallon gasoline. Or a bag of groceries going from $60 to $90. Uh, if you're in the donor class, odds are you're making above average means, uh, probably significantly above average means, and um, and you're not as consumed by that. But but the voters are. The rank-and-file voter is deeply concerned about $5 gasoline and $90 for a what I call an index finger full of groceries. You know the point I'm trying to make. You hold it all in one index finger. Um and then you've got banks, you've got asset managers or owners, um, you got investors. Um, those are the donor class. They're going to be real bothered 
by the raising of interest rates because it's going to lead to a decline in um, what assets are worth, whether it's a home, whether it's a farm, whatever the investment is. When interest rates uh, increase, you create some sort of demand destruction that, you know, affects supply and, and demand. And that, you know, that's the storyline here. And I think that we have not accepted as a reality what cheap borrowing does to asset prices. We know what it does. We just don't think about it. You know, how many of you think about the price of a home or what your monthly payment is going to be? I mean, if you're a young couple, I mean, how many of you are thinking about the price of that home or what that monthly payment is going to be? So the $300,000 mortgage, which is a big mortgage, but it's about the national average now because we've had this tremendous uptick in assets. Uh, housing kind of leads the way. And, um, and you can t- they, they can talk about supply and demand. They can talk about we've got a shortage of homes. Um, I buy some of that. I mean, I, I'll buy some of that. I mean, I'll buy that we didn't build as many homes post-2008 because we ran a lot of builders out of business. And, um, and people kept getting married, forming families. I mean, I understand some of the, um, and that would be societal issues. And uh, yeah, I mean, that, 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 you got to bake that into the cake. But, but the, the fundamental of where we are is the rising process have been allowed because we had cheap borrowing. And that was in, in I mean, it was distorted. I mean, it was a collusion. Uh, it was, uh, I'll go back to Nomi Prin and what she said, she'd go to at Goldman Sachs, she'd go to her um, senior management and, you know, propose an investment scenario. And they'd say, Nomi, that makes a lot of sense. You're really smart, really educated, really dedicated, really probably going to be real good at your craft. But we are banking on the Fed doing something else. And if the Fed does what we think the Fed will do, we can tear all that work up and throw it in the trash because it doesn't matter. She was basing her analysis on fundamentals of of economic reality. You know, this is how the economy works. But but the Fed has so distorted the economy. Uh, her first book, I said yesterday, I was kind of proud of that. You know, All the President's Bankers. I think the name of the book should have been All the Bankers' Presidents because I think the presidents are at the mercy of these, these central bankers who once again try to maintain this equilibrium between rising prices and cheap borrowing. And I think we've broken that reality and there is no precedent. We're in uncharted territory. $1.2 trillion was the asset bubble in 2008. I think it's $5.8 trillion today. Now, it's different. We don't have um, homeowners that can afford homes. But we just got an economy that has been allowed in the aggregate to speculate for about 20 years. <laughs> and, and I think that rooster is about coming home to roost. So because of what I just expressed is the reason that if given the opportunity at a convention of states to put one amendment on the um, on the table and, and once again abolishing the Fed, somebody was it's not a, it's not a Fed agency. It's not. It's not. A, it's not a government agency. The Federal Reserve is a quasi government agency, but it was born in government. It could die in government. I mean, it's a little bit like rural electric. I mean, the rural electrification guys always tell me the guys at PD Electric. And some of these, uh, Sandy Cooper, I mean, they always tell me, you know, we were born in the politics. We'll probably be die. We'll probably die in politics at some point in time. And Sandy Cooper nearly um, died when the General Assembly tried to cook up a deal and sell it. I mean, you know, I think that's off the table now. But but the Federal Reserve is more dangerous. I'll give you an example. How do you deficit spend if you don't have a Fed? You're talking about the balanced budget amendment. Well, how, right. how, how do you deficit spend if you don't have a Fed? I don't think you can. I mean, where does the money come from? 
Where does the liquidity come from to buy government debt? When you issue government debt, the government spends, let's say the government spends a trillion dollars this year they don't have. Where does that money come from? If there's not a Fed to provide the liquidity, the Fed doesn't have any money. They just create the money out of thin air. So when the Fed creates the money out of thin air to buy the government debt, if the government doesn't have somebody to buy the debt, it can't deficit spend. And that's why I think the Fed is so, I mean, it's manipulative, it's distortive, but, but it's dangerous. And it's allowed our economy to, ah, to, un, 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 to disconnect itself from economic reality. And I think the only reason we've been allowed to do that is the Fed becoming as activist as they become and stepping outside of the bounds of what I've, and I've read a lot about what its original intent was. I mean, it was to, it was to be there in a national emergency. It was to be there when we got in a war and didn't have the money to, to fund the war. I mean, it was kind of the, um, it was the break glass in case of emergency. That's not what it is today. Mm. It's, it's an everyday part of the financialization of America's economy. And it's, it's the reason the American middle class, I blame trade deals. I would probably, in retrospect, blame the Fed for the stagnant, ah, the stagnant income. In other words, a dollar, you, let's say you're making more than you, but you don't feel like you're getting anywhere. And I was making $10 an hour, I'm making $20 an hour, don't feel like I'm any wealthier now. That, that's the Fed. I mean, that's the Fed to blame because, once again, that they've injected capital, which leads to asset price appreciation, uh, which leads to cheap borrowing, and, and, and the asset managers have done extremely well. I mean, if you're an asset owner, you've done extremely well. If you're a member of the donor class, you've probably done extremely well. But if you're a rank-and-file voter, the Fed, my friends, ain't your friend. Let's go to the phone. Jason and Marion, good morning. You're on the air. Good morning, fellas. Ken, I'm right there with you about getting rid of the Fed. I think it should have never been started. Um, but going along the same lines with the Fed and the economy and the budget, um, I was wondering if you had a chance to look into or hear about the, the plan Ron Paul, I mean, Rand Paul has um, for balancing the budget. Um, I believe it's something about a six cent uh, tag or something, but he said it would get paid off in two years. Uh, he was supposed to be on Hannity yesterday, and I didn't get a chance to hear him explain it. Uh, I, I kind of want to get your take on that and see what you think, see if it would work and um, just all that. I'll take it off the uh, thing. Thank, thank you, Jason. I mean, six percent is kind of the number. I mean, a lot of analysts believe that if we could cut spending across the board six percent, we could get a financial house back in order. I don't know if I agree with Rand Paul. I, I think he's a little too aggressive. I mean, I respect what he's trying to do, and I think he's put something on the table. I would probably go for one percent across the board spending for six consecutive years, and I'm not talking about the slowdown of growth. I mean, in Washington, they count the you know they project a ten percent. Um, increase and they only did it at 6%. They say they cut spending by 4%. All of us know better than that. I mean, it genuinely, and I think, you know, Joe talks a lot about zero, uh, zero accounting or baseline budgeting. Uh, there's a lot of ways I would probably be in favor of that, but I think, you know, you're shooting for the moon when you try to ask for all of those <laughs> things. I would probably try to propose a 1% spending cut across the board in, in annual increments over six years uh, period. I think you can really address our issues if you do that. Um, but I don't think you can cut spending without addressing entitlements. I mean, I still think there has to be something done with Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. And Medicare and Social Security are pretty easy. People aren't going to like it, but you raise the eligibility age. I mean, that's what we're going to have to do. People, uh, when we instituted those programs, people were living 
you know, 71, 72 years old. People are now living 80, 81 years old. You got about nine or 10 years of extra life on the end that we're trying to fund. And you've got the, uh, the number of workers in the workforce funding these two programs. Um, you know, we've had this debate about, are they entitlements or are they, I mean, you know, if you've paid into Medicare, you've paid in, into social security, but the reality is, um, you're getting more out of Medicare. You probably won't get as much out of social security as you paid in. If you're doing kind of a 7% interest rate over the long haul, uh, that gets complicated, but Medicare, I mean, healthcare is where we've really, um, let get out of hand. I mean, when you look at the, at the, what I'll call the appreciation of a, of a sector of the economy, the two that have appreciated more than anything, including fuel. I mean, including fuel or flying around the world or buying a car is, is health care and higher education. And the reason health care and higher education have become such behemoths is government involvement. I mean, the health care sector without government involvement, I, I've often wondered this, and I don't know the answer. What would a college education cost today minus a federal reserve? I mean, if we didn't have the Fed, if economic realities were economic realities, were economic realities, and we let the market forces, I mean, we, we you know, we gave in to, to market forces and the market truly dictated what the value of an asset or a commodity is, what would the cost of health insurance be? What would the cost of a visit to the hospital be? What would the cost of higher education be? The Fed has manipulated all this by cheap interest rates and, and just putting liquidity into the economy, this quantitative easing. Quantitative easing, I said it yesterday and I'll say it again, is legalized and government-endorsed counterfeiting. <laughs> I mean, there is no other way to explain it. That's, it's legalized, so government-endorsed, counterfeiting of money, quantitative tightening. You know what that means? Somebody caught you. You got caught counterfeiting, and now you can't counterfeit any longer. And we're just beginning. I mean, this is why a lot of this, you know, the speculative forces in, in Wall Street are saying this is going to get really rough toward the fall of the year because we're going to have the $90 billion monthly um, September is when it goes from 47, 5 billion to 90 billion. We're going to take $90 billion. Uh, so let's say round off hundred billion in 10 months. We're going to take a trillion dollars of liquidity out of the economy. I mean that, you know, w- w- once again, w- we've had this, um, th- this equilibrium, of uh, a price increases and th- the inflow of capital and, and cheap interest rates. So we're raising interest rates. We're constricting capital. And we don't believe we're going into a, a recession. But there is no other. There is no other outcome. There's no other place we land um, now. How deep is the recession? How bad is the recession? I don't have any idea because there is no precedent. That, that we're in uncharted territory. Once the powers to be realize that somebody's going to be angry with us, would we rather have you know um, 75 million voters? Or, or a million donors. And I think we know what the answer is going to be mm-hmm. there. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. Takes Mondays to make Fridays, 843 The last question, I'll have the answer to this. Uh, I'm trying to find an answer, and I'll try to read more and more and more about this over the weekend because it's so intriguing to me. So if you put money in a bank, and, and that money is a, a part of their portfolio, and they loan money, they loan money against that reserve. I mean, you've given them money. I've given them money. Mike's given them money. They're loaning um, Steve money. And, you know, they've got to have, there's a corresponding formula that goes along with their reserves and their lending capacities. When they take money from the Fed, when, 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 a, when a local bank, or let's say a national bank, when, when, when Truist, I'm just picking on them for a second, when Truist borrows money from the Fed, and that becomes part of their reserve, 
and it increases their lending capacity. What is that money from the Fed worth? Where did that money come from? You earned and saved, and you go deposit a hundred grand at a local bank. That's part. Of, that's real money. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You put that money in that bank, and they can lend against that money at a certain percentage, or with a certain formulated way. Um, when they borrow money from the Fed, that what I call um, the uh, the created out of thin air money. What is that money worth? I mean, they they're lending against that money, but it was created, concocted. Um, you know, buy, I mean, it's public money. It never made, it has never been in the private sector. It's never worked its way through the economy. It came directly from the Fed, digitally created to that bank. That bank all of a sudden lends against that as part of their reserve. I, I just, for the life of me, I don't understand what is that money worth? It has never, ever been to Walmart. It's never been to the car dealership. It's never been to the radio station. It's come direct from the Fed to the balance sheet of that institution. And that institution says, well, now we can loan more money because we borrowed at the discount rate you know, from the Fed. That is so bizarre to me wow. how that system works. Um, I get you taking 100 grand and me taking 100 grand and they've got $200,000 on deposit, real money sitting there that was earned the old-fashioned way. It's just when when they begin borrowing the discount rate or from the discount at the discount rate from the Fed, how do they lend against that money that didn't exist until the Fed created it out of thin air? <laughs> but doesn't isn't that money transferred you know with the full faith and trust of the sure, United States government? Sure, sure. So it and is, it's worked so far. It's real money. I mean, it, I, I, I would as, imagine. But but you see where I'm. Oh I mean, yeah. That's a very odd and because, unique arrangement. Because what that does to all the other, quote, real money that's sure, out there. Sure, it, it dilutes it. I mean, it, it makes it worth less. Yeah. Sure it does. Let's go to the phone. Wow. Here's Larry in the PD. Well, you're asking all the right questions this morning, but uh, not all of us are going to be able to come up with all of those answers. But um, when, I, when I called in, you had asked about, you know, what does it look like if you don't have a Fed? Well, it looks a lot the same. The difference is that savers have to buy government bonds in order for the government to deficit spend. We have to loan our own money back to the government. And so if you remember when you were much younger, you probably got savings bonds as a birthday gift, right? I did. Um, yeah, and, and what that was is we were loaning our money to back to the government. Then uh, the government was taking and injecting that money in the economy somewhere, you know, to buy a tank or to, you know, fund a school or whatever it was. Um, and that's really the Fed just sort of takes the place of a lot of that. And, yeah, they do sort of create the money out of thin air, but then they, they create a, a credit and a debit at the same time. So the net change is zero. The, the Fed is owed money. You got money. The Fed charges a very low interest rate. The bank charges a slightly higher interest rate. And we, instead of giving our money to the government, we give our money to the bank in the form of interest instead of buying bonds. That's sort of how it makes its way back uh, to the to the Fed um, when the bank pays the interest to the Fed. The thing is, when the interest rate is zero, then there's really no incentive to, to get anything back to the Fed. You just hold your debt forever. It doesn't cost you anything. And uh, if the Fed gives enough away, then the money that you borrowed is worth less now than it was when you borrowed it. It's easier to kind of pay it back. Um, I'm going to continue to be the voice, just because I'm a standard contrarian, I'm going to continue to be the voice to say that a recession is not necessarily a death sentence when the economy has been roaring like ours has been. Um, 
for the last even five or six years. We've had a very good economy. I don't think anybody could could argue that it hasn't. Anybody that wanted something could kind of go get it. And then we went and gave everybody a couple trillion dollars on top of that. Um, and it over it definitely overheated all the markets. Um, I would just say that the, the stock market is not the economy. You and I don't go to the store and buy groceries with stocks. Most of the money that's in the stock market is not money that's circulating in the economy. It's being parked somewhere. So even when the stock market does that, other than the fact that we feel a little poor and that might cause us to tighten our belts, we aren't necessarily actually poorer. Um, but, yeah, we're going to – I mean, the, the, the I feel like the stock market correction has very little to do with the Fed and a lot to do with what you talked about earlier and what Warren Buffett says a lot of companies are swimming naked, right? They got their head above water, but underneath they got no clothes on. And so if the water level drops just a little bit, we're going to find out that a lot of these companies are not uh, as financially sound as they ought to be. Yes, a lot of it has to do with the fact that they financed, they borrowed uh, to cover a lot of the the everyday business uh, expenses. But I think that it's slightly different than what's going to affect me and you, because me and you, our loans are already borrowed. It's just new borrowing that may slow down. But you also stated correctly, there's a lot of demand still in the marketplace. There's a lot of shortage. Some of this inflation is demand pull. It's not just because everybody's got extra money. I mean, you know, do you think the price of baby formula is going up? Yeah, because there's not enough of it, right? That's not necessarily because money's easy to get. It's not like people go out and say, whoo, I got all this extra money. Let me buy tampons and baby formula. Those are caused by shortages. So there's demand still in the market. So I do think that the recession is coming, but I don't think it's like, you know, it's not like, you know, Paul Revere, the British are coming. You know, I just think that we have to ease back a little bit. But disinflation is not the same as deflation, and disinflation just means we are still inflating just at a slower rate. And if that's the case, then asset prices are not going to retreat. They're just going to slow. So we may just be in for some real sticky, muddy it's going to be the economy is going to have to trudge through a swamp, but I don't think that it's necessarily going all the way backwards. Um, some aspects of it will, but some aspects of it won't. So I just want to put that two cents in and be the the, the counter opinion on that. We'll see. Time's going to tell. Good to have you back, Larry. Thank you, my man. That's more than two cents, but we always appreciate mm-hmm. you know a nickel's worth or a dime's or a quarter's <laughs> or a dollar's worth of advice from Larry, guy who kind of studies this as I do and. It's just, I mean, Larry and, see, and you, I... You've been freaking me out and bumming me out, and Larry makes me feel well, a little I mean, better. Larry, Larry's a contrarian. If I were saying, don't freak out, don't bum out, he'd probably call <laughs> in and try to freak out and bum you out because he <laughs> likes being, as I do, the, the contrarian of the bunch. The, the one thing Larry said that I think is important, and, and we can go there, um, talking about buying savings bonds. How many of you want a bond that pays one half of 1% interest? See, the Fed has allowed the government to run its and conduct its business, run its balance sheet on, um, on really, really cheap money. How many of the public are going to invest in a government that pays them one-half, one-percent return? You're not. I'm not. We'll find something else to do with our money. I mean, we'll go buy liquor. You know, we'll, we'll go buy beer. We'll buy ball game um, tickets. We'll have a big time. Um, but, but once the government decided that the Fed could become as activist as it became, um, the days of the public investing in the government, in other words, if you had a million bucks in a retirement fund and savings bonds were paying 5%, and it was backed by the full faith and credit of the federal government, that's a pretty decent investment. 
passive income. Uh, you know, you want that 50 grand a year. It's tax-free. I mean, that, yeah, that makes a million dollars is a lot of money, folks. Um, but, but once again, if you've got a million bucks and the Fed's going to offer you, excuse me, the government's going to offer you an opportunity to invest and buy its debt, but they're paying you less than 1%, well, what is the likelihood you invest in that? So the Fed has allowed the government to operate and basically fund programs, um, keep its balance sheet intact, because the Fed has made accessible to the government um, liquidity at 0% interest, you know, one half of 1% interest. Well, now it's going up to 1.75% interest, and uh, many speculate by year's end it'll be a little better than 3%. So, so that's, you know, we, we could really chew on that. How many could the government run its business if not for the Fed and they offered um, the investor, the, the people who buy public debt, if they offered that investor 1% in annualized return? No. I mean, I'm not investing in that. I'd, buy, I'd roll the dice and I'd do something a little bit different. I'd buy a, a power utility or some sort of, um, you know, Procter & Gamble. Somebody's got a history of selling, you know, pretty good toothpaste at a pretty good price or, or deodorant at pretty, some of these staples we have to use every day. I don't care what the economy does. You're not going to stop brushing your teeth, right? You're not going to stop putting deodorant on. You may not go to Disney. You may cancel your Gamecock Club or Iptay membership, but you're going to keep brushing your teeth. So those are some of the stapled investments. But the Fed has allowed the government to borrow money via the discount rate and uh, some of these open market transfer funds and whatnot is complicated uh, at about 0% interest. How many of you would invest in a federal government that gave you a return of 0%? Let's go to the phone. Here's Joe in Hartsville. Morning, Joe. Yeah, good morning, guys. Uh, actually, you can buy a treasury bill right now. It's called TIPS. pays about 9 9.5%. It's five-year treasury notes. Uh, you have to hold it for at least a year. You can't cash it in. But it, it pays over 9% right now. Because of inflation. It's an inflation-adjusted right. investment. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's a treasury protection security tip yeah i don't know it's all i know is it's a pretty good deal but you can't buy but ten thousand dollars worth a year correct but uh, there's a debate in washington they're actually having a bill there's their debate in the subcommittee i think finance subcommittee about raising that to 25 grand from ten thousand to twenty five thousand. but it's an investment in the federal government that has a kind of an insurance hedge excuse me an inflation hedge included yeah but one of the biggest problems we have is you know I talk a lot about the velocity of money. You're talking about a bank borrowing an extra billion dollars to have on hand. Well, as long as it sits in that bank, it doesn't create inflation. Once it starts getting pushed out into the economy, just like these stimulus packages, when they shut the economy down, but they kept injecting money into it, you know, you're not producing goods. But you, you've got all this money, so as the, the amount of goods go down and all this money comes into the economy, now you got inflation. That's how Bitcoin got ran up so high. You know, the, the creators of Bitcoin say, oh, this is a safe haven against the dollar. Well, that turned out to be not true. Gold, they're manipulating the price of gold. Gold should be somewhere between eight and ten thousand dollars an ounce, and even that's not enough. Because if you had ten thousand tons of gold, that still wouldn't even touch the, the deficit we have. But they did away with Glass Steagall back in 
99 or 2000 right as Clinton was going out, and that separated the personal accounts from the bank accounts. That way the bank can't say, I've got $100 billion in assets when actually they only have about 20 because the other $80 billion is customer accounts. So they can't gamble with your money. The only way they can lend your money is if you buy a CD in that bank for six months, 12 months, three years, whatever. That guarantees them they have that long to use that money. So the only way to get rid of the Fed you were talking about earlier is to make Congress do their job. And I don't think we're going to do that because I was looking at the voting uh, statistics. You know, we had less than 380,000 people vote for governor. Less than 600,000 voted total. I know we got more voters than that in South Carolina. So people, they're not going <laughs> to, I don't know what the solution is. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate that. Well, I mean, thinking about voter participation uh, in apathy and lackadaisical um, voting, the the one thing about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency that I'm encouraged by, and and I, you know, I don't have to be the, I mean, I'm not the the guy that brings all bad news. I mean, there's some good news in here. Um, Well, what's good about crypto being over 50 or Bitcoin? Let's use Bitcoin. It's kind of the most popular and mainstream of crypto. I think the, I'm more bullish on crypto today than I was when Bitcoin was north of $50,000 because it's behaved like an asset class. As the energy industry behaved like an asset class, the transportation sector behaved like an asset class, there was this fundamental debate about crypto. Is it or is it not an asset class? Is it a gimmick? Is it a novelty? Or is it genuinely something to be considered as a hedge against the dollar? It is an alternative currency. And I think when the market began selling off on all the uh, what we call the the economic bad news, some of the headwinds that we're dealing with. Larry has one opinion. I have a little bit different opinion. I don't know that Larry and I are on different planets. We're probably in different you know continents on the same planet. Um, but but Bitcoin and crypto behaved as an asset class. Um, I think crypto is a good investment because it behaved like an asset class. Where's the bottom? I mean, is Bitcoin going to 15,000, 10,000, 5,000? I don't have any idea what the bottom is. I wish I did. I wouldn't be getting up at 4.30 in the morning, you know, <laughs> trying to make a living doing four hours of conservative talk radio. I'd be speculating on the market if I were that good. So I don't know what Bitcoin, I mean, I think there's a kind of what they call a dead cat bounce. I mean, I think we'll get a couple of those. And then I think we get another significant retreat of maybe six or 7,000 points in the Dow. Um, but, but I think crypto behaving as an asset class convinces me to be long-term more bullish, um, down the road. There's nothing that they're doing nothing to add value to the dollar. I know they raised interest rates three quarters of 1%. They said they're going to do it again. Uh, but, but the fed does not have the stomach to, to really address the fundamentals of how we got to where we are. Um, they'll dance around the edges, you know, they'll, they'll make some corrections, but but eventually we'll get back to. I mean, we're drunk with money. I mean, you know, and and cheap money's cheap money is cheap money. But but I think Bitcoin. I mean, I'll go on the record. I think I'll be on the radio long enough to see Bitcoin at a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, I, I sincerely really? believe that. I, I really believe that with every fiber of my being. And if I had guts and wasn't sixty year or pushing sixty years old, 
I'd invest in Bitcoin. I mean, you know, I got a, I, I guess like everybody else, I got a little bit of money put up in, in, in a varying variety of, of investments. But, but I believe Bitcoin behaving as an asset class, crypto behaving as an asset class convinces me that it's here to stay. And it, it, it eventually will become, I think, a more valuable asset class because the people responsible for managing, you know, inflation, disinflation, deinflation, um, stagflation, shrinkflation, all these terminologies we use, I just don't think they have it in them to do what is necessary to put the dollar back on on solid footing, uh, monetary policy hinged to some solid uh, valuation. Let's go to the, uh, well, let's take a break. I don't want to stay too long. We've already stayed too long. Back in a minute. 843 takes Mondays to make Fridays. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Mike in Darlington. Hey, Mike. Uh, good morning. Uh, great show as always. But uh, I, I I love the way uh, Larry kind of smoothed and salved around uh, your comments about uh, it just being uh, in, uh, in, uh, inflation that uh, they were for the last twenty years they've just been using inflation printing money that without necessarily the link to uh, production. And that, uh, I think, is a problem that, that has to be addressed at some point. You can't just have a counterfeiter out there. Sure, there are other uh, nefarious organizations counterfeiting money, but the, the biggest counterfeiter is uh, obviously the Fed in collusion with the U.S. government. And that's, uh, that's, that's a problem that has to be dealt with. And uh, Larry knows a lot more about finance than I do, I believe, but... Uh, I, I don't think you can overlook that for one minute. But right now, everybody's howling, or they want to howl. They just ha- don't have the energy to howl about uh, the price of, of gasoline and uh, fuel oil going up, uh, doubling and tripling in, in just a matter of months. And, that, and over the last 50 years, uh, Gasoline, it's, it's gone. It's about twenty-five times what it was in nineteen seventy. But uh, the other other things like education, thirty to sixty times what it was in nineteen seventy. And I can't see where we're getting a return on that money. And that's a tremendous drain on the economy. And and I think uh, health care is just about in the same boat. Uh, certainly uh, 30 times over, but uh, they can do a lot more with health care now. Uh, But it is, I believe it's more expensive than it should be. That's just my view on that. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it on health care. I mean, health care and education, higher education. I mean, that's another distortion of the marketplace has been distorted by the availability of government funds. Um, the most interesting question we can all ask ourselves, what would things cost if there were no fed? I mean, I think that's fundamentally, I mean, that's a, that's a a, kind of an abstract, I mean, it's it's a very, very squishy question, but, but I think it's worth considering and pondering and, and, and discussing what would, uh, cost of a college education cost if there weren't any federal reserve, what would healthcare cost if not for a federal reserve, what would the government, what would the services of government cost if not for the Federal Reserve. I think it's manipulated and distorted about everything in our marketplace. Let's go to the phone. Michael in Florence. Good morning, Michael. 
Good morning. So, um, listening to this, it reminds me of a couple of videos, and, and I'm not an economist, but there's a video out there, uh, one of them's called How to Be a Crook, and it, you know, it starts out with, you know, you can just rob people and, and, uh, you know, or you can take them to the next level and start breaking in their homes, and then it starts getting into this whole thing about counterfeiting, and, you know, and, and of course, all of these, you run the risk of getting caught and going to jail. So uh, it ends up with counterfeiting and then talks about, well, the way you avoid that is you get all the politicians involved and you make it legal. And it says, but somebody's already beat you to it. And and then, of course, it, it shows this. Uh, it, it's all kind of hand-drawn. So it shows a picture of the Federal Reserve Bank. But, but the other one that's kind of interesting is one called the Goldsmith, where... You know, people don't want to walk around with their gold because, you know, because the guy from the other video is going to come and rob them for it, right? So they leave it in the goldsmith's vault, and they're walking around with the receipts, and they exchange the receipts as though they're the actual gold. Yeah, Mike, we got a hard break, top of the hour. I am so sorry, but we got bills to pay back in just a minute. Takes Mondays to make Fridays, 843-6610-937. I'm going to do a Facebook post over the weekend, and it's going to be called Federal Reserve Explained by Dummies for Dummies. <laughs> Uh, because I don't know that I could explain it any other way. And I'm not sure people who follow me on Facebook have the depth it takes to understand it as Larry Summers and some of the esteemed economists try and explain it. But uh, it, it'll take a while. But um, it's interesting. You said you trust me on this. I'm talking about Reb. Uh -huh. You trust me more on this than some of the economists in, in Washington. Oh, my goodness. Okay. You, at least you can explain some of this stuff to where I can have well, Look at Mike it. nodding his head. Is that, a, is that a, round, a resigning endorsement there, Freehold? <laughs> okay fair enough be go. careful with my answers though let me just warn you about that and, and then when you hear have a president out there who says things like ah you know recession it's not inevitable so but, but just remember there, remember this one simple you, sentence you just don't understand we're, all we're the good stuff i'm doing we're creating money out of thin air there is no good outcome i mean when you create money out of thin air eventually that rooster comes home to roost i mean it, it begins there i mean there are a lot of other tentacles and and you know storylines and facts and factors and all that but we are creating money out of thin air with the government uh, the, the, let me let, this is when somebody says because i just a second ago so you believe in abolishment of the fed that's pretty radical okay that's fairly radical the model today is the government appropriates and spends money it doesn't have it goes to the fed the fed buys the debt with money it doesn't have but it digitally creates money out of thin air you tell me what's radical my abolishment theory or the theory we're operating under or the model we're using um, today. Let's go to the phone. Then we've got our, um, uh, we got to think of a nickname for these three guys. Oh, I mean, we got our, our three you're, you're local legislators here. Yeah, the three. Bad options. Steve Martin, if we're the three amigos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll come up with a, um, a nickname here sooner than later. Uh, let's go to the phone. Here's Jim, <laughs> Jim in Florence. Hey, Jim. Hey, good morning, guys. So, Ken. Uh, when I think about the Fed and Wall Street and their involvement in uh, the federal government, um, I, I think about my late grandfather, who uh, was sort of a old school progressive, sort of like Huey Long. Um, and the more I learn about BlackRock and these different things, the more I can't help but, you know, sort of channel that uh, or feel a reincarnation of my grandfather's uh, progressive ideology sometimes when it comes to 
uh, Wall Street. Um, I, I don't think we get out of this thing without having big ideas and, and trying to, you know, go big or go home. Um, and maybe we need to elect a Huey Long. Um, but, you know, when we talk about these constitutional conventions, why aren't we talking about amendments to the Constitution where when you go to D.C. as a bureaucrat or as an elected official, we're seizing your, your assets? Um, and, and you can't do anything with them until you leave D.C. Why are we why are we allowing Nancy Pelosi to involve herself uh, in buying and selling stocks, whether it's her or her husband? Um, I would imagine she's probably a little bit more sober than her husband. But um, we need this thing's kind of like a rubber band. They pulled it and they pulled it and pulled it. And instead of it just slowly going back, it's going to snap back and. We've got to get a wrang uh, wrangle on these these politicians uh, and Wall Street itself, um, and make the government work for us and not for them. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate that. I mean, I agree with Jim with some of these radical changes. We're, we're it's a little bit like I mean, I've always believed that to legitimate, honestly, attempt to reform public education, you're you're not going to nip around the edges. Um, I'm not a politician, so I don't have to answer to the people. Um, I can be a big idea reformer. And the um, he's talking about Huey Long a second ago. I mean, I, I can say outlandish things to provoke um, some sort of revolutionary response because I'm not held accountable to the voters. I don't have to operate in an elected body. I don't have to get, you know, a consensus or get through subcommittee or full committee or get it to the floor, get people to vote on it, um, get more people to vote for it than against it. So, so I can offer up these radical and, um, and, and kind of broad-reaching ideas, but, but there are certain places that I think the only way to address – some of the eels are, are radical change and, and having big ideas. I think public education is going to require us to have big ideas, stepping out of our comfort zone and, and doing things that a lot of people associated with education aren't going to care for, for much, the, the, the abolishment of the Federal Reserve. You know, do, do I believe that happens? Of course not, because Wall Street is very much sympathetic to the Fed. The Fed's very sympathetic to Wall Street. I understand that Goldman Sachs has far more money to give to candidates than I do, and Wall Street has far more abilities to uh, enact change on our political system. But but I do believe some of these fundamental issues that we've got to address require um, big ideas and candidates and campaigns and, and office holders willing to roll the dice a little more than we previously have. Um, before we get to our, is it three amigos? We can do better than that. I mean, everybody's let three us, amigos. Let us form a committee. And okay. we'll get yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, there, there you go. Um, uh, I'm, I'm going to press the red button. Excuse me, I'm going to mash the red button. For, so, so Jay asked me, to, can I be recognized? So what? for what reason does the House member from Florence arise? Oh, wow. So last <laughs> week, unfortunately, I was unable to be here, and there was some insinuation that I, I heard on the radio about my absence, <laughs> and it was insinuated I'd better deal with the group, and it was at a beach opportunity or something like that. And I want to set the record straight. That simply wasn't true. My daughter... Uh, needed to get to cheer practice, and because we had to move the time, I had to make sure she got to cheer practice and was taking care of that. And I can understand why you know this group wouldn't relate to that. I'm by far the youngest person in this group. What do you mean by far? Um, well, I'm by far the youngest person. You got a 12 year old. <laughs> you're by far younger than I am. I don't know if you're by far younger than everybody is. I'm by far the youngest person in this group, not youngest acting in this group. And he didn't say best looking either. I'm, get, right. I'm, I'm getting to that. Um, so I, I just want to get it straight. Sometimes as the youngest member of this delegation, I'll have things that will require me to assist my children. 
unlike the much older members of this group. Okay, fair enough. Um, the, the record is now being I appreciate the uh, straightened. And um, now we're, we're going to get on to business. Uh, Representative Lowe, <laughs> I want to get from you. Um, I want to start here, if you don't mind. Um, you told us last week that you thought the budget was close. I'll get to Senator Rickenbaugh here in just a second. The House, um, from the House's perspective, is the South Carolina budget a done deal? Yes, it is. I mean, I, I don't see but a, a, maybe a few vetoes that the governor may send out that we'll have to come back maybe deal with in about two weeks. But, yeah, the, the budget is, is, for all intents and purposes, it's done. It's not Philip Lowe's budget. It's the General Assembly's budget. What, what do you like about it, and what are some issues you have with things in the budget? Well, the gloom and doom you've been talking all day is not really where South Carolina is. South Carolina is a growing area. Our Our budget was incredible because – we're doing so well. Now, some of that is thrown money thrown in there by the federal government that stimulated the economy, but we've never had a better year. And the things we did with that were what I'm most proud of. And these guys sitting beside me, they all voted for the budget, and, and I'm sure that they'll agree. I mean, we could talk about the budget for a couple hours, but we took $2 billion to give back to the people tax relief that's income tax relief and and that's also uh taxes that it's really a rebate that's coming back up to eight hundred dollars depending on where you're at so and that's an incredible thing and i want to say this before we get lost in the minutiae of anything people say career politicians they say establishment they say all these things they call it you want somebody in that back room that's pushing for these kinds of things that spends the money when it's available in the right places. And it gives a portion back when we have extra money. And that's what you have in this crowd right here. We, we found it to be a priority to give back to the people of South Carolina. It's their money. Is it hard to be both? I mean, when you, when you're conservative by nature, but you're involved in a government agency that spends money. I mean, the General Assembly is there to spend taxpayer dollars. You fund a lot of different programs at a lot of different levels. People come from different perspectives, different walks of life. I've always felt the luxury of a liberal in government, they like spending other people's money. Conservatives by nature don't. Does that put people like you, Mike, and Jay in difficult positions? Well, it does. I mean, when you're a freshman, you get to throw eggs from the back row. You don't And have you did to. that. I did that. I still do that. I, I, I kind of act like a freshman too often probably. But the, the truth is that, that there's a point at which you got to govern. you got to figure out where this money goes. You, we never spend more than we take in. That's the constitutional requirement. But I'm going to tell you this year, 11% of this budget, we're putting back, we're holding back in reserves, and we didn't even spend all we had available to us. We held some of that back. So 11% is being held back. That's that's getting ready for a rainy day, possibly, but but that's the that's what leadership is. That's saying, guys, we got plenty, and let's make sure we don't run out next year. Senator, yeah, I think the the word that that Philip uses that I really appreciate is hold back, and that was my concern going in. Is that you know, there's we talked before about how much liquidity, how much money is being printed, how much money came from the, the federal government. There's no need to spend it all. And while the money should, as much as possible, should go back to the taxpayers, there are tough times coming. Now, we can argue about the degree of tough times coming, but reserves and holding back, increasing that reserve fund to know that when those tough times come, 
we don't then have to go ahead and scramble. And that was my concern is that we'd be like, it's kind of like, oh my gosh, we got all this money. Let's go spend it. No, you don't have to spend it. Only if things are worth it. Um, Representative um, Jordan, from from your perspective, uh, someone who's philosophically opposed to big government spending everybody's money, I mean, you got to work through a budget. There's a responsibility you have to your constituents and the state in general to um, to allocate funds. The, the thing I like about South Carolina, well, I guess, and Philip has mentioned this already, we start from a place of number one, we have a constitutional uh, requirement that says you don't spend more than you have, you know, and that's something the federal government is in obvious desperate need of. Um, but when you start from there. And then I think one of the good things that has come over the uh, over the last couple of decades is we've grown towards this idea of government operating more like a business operates. So what would you do in your business if you had extra money? Well, you'd probably put some back for a rainy day. You'd probably invest in your people and your um, infrastructure to make sure you were in a position to, to, to grow and to pay the bills in the future. And then if there was extra money, and, and, and this is where it gets a little bit different than a business, but you'd give the money back to the people that, pe- that, are, that are really truly paying the bills behind the scenes, and that's the taxpayers. Um, we not only are giving money back to the taxpayers, a significant amount of money to the taxpayers. This isn't like a few years ago where we, where we sent a $50 check. This is going to be much, much bigger in scope than that. Um, but we also found, um, found it appropriate at this point to, to cut taxes in South Carolina, to take our tax rate down. And so, you know, we're, I think we're prepared. Um, you know, I was always taught um, not just, you know, when things are good, that's great. You celebrate. You're, you're thankful for the blessings of that day, but you also prepare for the day that's not so rosy and, and bright. And I think we've done a good job looking ahead to, for when that gloom and doom comes because, you know, you can't, you know, we got Fox News playing behind us, I'm sure, on the, on the TV. What do you mean you're I'm, sure? I'm, I'm, I'm okay. confident. Okay. <laughs> uh, am I wrong? There's a cute girl in the middle. Must There's always Fox a cute girl in the middle on Fox News. Uh, but but we can tell from the from what's going on in Washington, they're going to push down upon the states uh, some gloom and doom. They, they're making some bad, bad decisions, and it's going to roll up at our doorstep, and we're going to have to deal with it. Let's, uh, if you don't mind, let, let's talk a little bit about – we've got to take a break here in about three minutes. Let's talk for a second about um, the competitive nature of South Carolina's tax code. Um, Tennessee has 0% income tax. Florida has 0% income tax. Uh, Texas has 0% income tax. Are we comfortable um, with the with the, the rate at which South Carolina tax, uh, the state tax income, the, the income, uh, what am I talking the state income tax? Are we comfortable, uh, are the three of you comfortable with kind of where we are in how we tax businesses and citizens in South Carolina from the state level? Well, you know, we attacked that this year. We've heard, well, North Carolina's got a lower tax rate. Effectively, they don't because the deductions that you get on your federal tax return, they tax you again there and then on the state level. So in South Carolina, we don't have that. We allow those deductions. Then we begin, that's your adjusted gross income. So effectively, we're already below, say, North Carolina and plenty of the states that, that and, and when you look at taxes, you got to look at it all. You've got to go at the whole package of tax from top to bottom because we limit what the local government can do from the state level. So you've got to combine it all when you're when you're talking about it. But sure, we'd love to get it down to no taxes. What we did this year, though, is we have a three, four, five, six, seven percent bracket system. We completely eliminated the four, the five, the six percent bracket. Pulled all of those down to the three percent bracket. 
that that's an incredible savings to to us. We took the seven percent down to six and a half percent, and we've got a plan. If if we have a good economy continuing, it'll drop another percent each year to get it down to six percent. So we'll effectively have a six percent and a three percent. So the tax savings will will be incredible with that. So uh, really, it reduces taxes on almost all tax filers, and it raises taxes on no one. Um, and it really simplifies the system as a whole. And, Mike, you concur with that? I mean, you're comfortable with where you're headed as it relates to a state income tax? You know, the president of our Senate, Thomas Alexander, he represents Oconee and Pickens County. He explained something when we were there uh, Wednesday that we've got to be very careful when we talk about, well, let's let's look at our effective tax rate compared to other states, and, and it's better. And, and his point was, you know, he's the the one senator that has North Carolina and Georgia on either side of him. And he said— you know, we don't hear a lot of companies up in that area asking, well, let's get into the minutia of the effective labor rate as we think about moving here. They ask the simple question, what's your state income tax? So everything that Representative Lowe said is exactly correct. And they, they went into more detail about our effective rate being better. But on the surface, it seems as though, according to President Alexander, when you've got North Carolina and Georgia on either side of us, the question is, what's your state income tax? So we got to be careful of what the optics look like. Jay, messaging, is that something that we need to do a better job, messaging our competitiveness against some of these neighboring states? I think it is. I mean, at the end of the day, that, that word, that competitive competition, we, we have to constantly be reminding ourselves that we're in a competition with these states around us, and therefore we have to continue to um, remind ourselves of that and to take that at heart and to use that, whether that's investing in infrastructure, whether that's um, comparing tax rates, uh, all those things are, are key ingredients to making us, um, you know, the, the bright spot in the southeast. Okay, let's take a break. Our first break of the hour. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes with our local legislative, not the entire delegation, but um, we only got three chairs in here. And these are three people who kind of um, pass legislation that affects all of our lives locally and statewide. Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. So we set a budget. We've got Representative uh, Jay Jordan, Representative Philip Lowe, Senator Mike Rickenbotter, studios we do uh, most Friday mornings. They have a standing invitation, and here recently they've taken us up on it because they're not in Columbia transacting business every single day of the week or three days a week as they normally are. We're out of session. I, I want to go back to you, Representative Lowe, and ask, um, so, so we set a budget. Um, what were, and I know you can't answer this in, in specifics because we don't have enough time, but what were the priorities? Was it education? Was it infrastructure? Was it, you know, uh, getting local government? I mean, walk me through some of what you considered the priorities to be and, and where you guys kind of settled at. Yeah, I think you, you hit on some of them. The infrastructure that we're putting in, uh, especially roads, you know, I, that's the call I get the most. Uh, and and we're, you see a lot of road work going on in the Florence area here, and we're, we're proud to Start trying to change that. It's that's been a problem for a long time. But we're also looking at the interstates and all. And so there's a lot of money that we put into this budget this time. Um, we have an, an additional billion dollars for state funding for roads. And you know we we've got a large highway system, and we're the tenth fastest state in the nation. So so we're beginning to explode with needs for roads and all. Um, but we put hundreds of millions of dollars in that will bring down federal dollars. And that that money is going to keep coming because it's a recurring dollar. There's some states out there that aren't doing so good. They can't put their share of a match in. So we've got more money planned to go in as soon as there's extra money, leftover money, that those other states couldn't 
get a hold of. We're going to put in. That's part of what that 11% we're holding back is to put more money in to take down more federal dollars for, for states. Um, they're going to do a lot of widening of, of I-95 in some spots and also I-26. Uh, but the local m- money going to the CTCs, that's the county money, was going to be $250 million more dollars. So we used to get about $3 million a year for the whole county of Florence. We're going to have about $10 million this year coming in. So the, between the interstates and, and those monies and the original uh, money that's coming in to, out of our gas taxes that are paying, you'll continue to see improvements. And we're speeding up that process of, of improvement of roads. So I'm very proud of that. And, Senator, that's a core function of government. No matter how conservative you are, um, the government needs to build roads we all uh, kind of travel upon. Infrastructure is huge. Roads, sewer, broadband. I mean, that, those are the basic needs that our citizens need. They want us to be wise with the money. They understand that they pay taxes. They want us to be wise and judicious and have discernment when we spend the money, not waste it. Representative Jordan? You know, that's roads is probably the, the single biggest call I get as well. You know, it's 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 a twofold issue. It's, it's keeping up with the, the roads we already have. Um, if you go back not that long ago when I first got to Columbia, we had – some of the worst, if not the worst roads in, in the country. Um, we realized we had a problem and we, t- and it became a priority to work on to try and fix. I think we've started to turn the tide a little bit, but roads is not something, uh, you fix overnight roads is, you know, our situation would probably be like waking up and weighing 300 pounds and you need to weigh 180 pounds. And it takes time to get yourself in fighting shape, so to speak. And we're making progress We're we've, like I said, we've made it a priority. I agree with what Mike said. I think most of the people that I talked to, you know, we, I don't know anybody that loves taxes. I think everybody at this table hates taxes. I think most people listening hate taxes. We all pay them, um, and, we, and most of us recognize that we have a certain responsibility for things like roads and infrastructure that go, that go along to, you know, making our economy work and attracting new industry and business to us. And that's why I applaud the three of you, and I mean this sincerely. It adds a certain element to our show. Um, you guys come on this show knowing the majority of people listening to this show would rather you not spend any more than you have to. And to validate and defend the spending of money, I think, takes a certain amount of political courage. And um, and I applaud you for that. I think the, the majority of listeners out there understand I want to be responsible and sane and realistic, but but I understand that there's a certain government that is required and has to be functional and paid for. Um, but, but this didn't meet the press. You know, this eating, uh this week with David Brinkley or whatever, where they kind of celebrate big government and spending more and more money you guys are held accountable and you hold yourself accountable and i applaud i applaud you for that yes sir but you know the first thing we talked about was what we were going to give back sure that's important the tax refund yes and if you guys weren't conservative you would have said hey is there any way we could sneak around and keep all that money uh you know we got lucky and got more than we really need let's try to figure out a way to hold on to that and, and spend some uh, do something frivolous with it and you guys didn't didn't do that i want to take a call then i want to go back and get their opinion on something that happened this week um that they weren't closely involved in but i think it affects the orbit of which they they have to better understand let's go to the phone steve in florence joins us now hey steve hey morning guys um i forgot that they were sitting in but i'll i got a question for them too can we get some better traffic lights in the florence area especially like sensors for emergency vehicles you know where they all turn red so these guys can get through and maybe have a better response time and down by five points too that should just be a roundabout that's a nightmare down there and um a call back i uh, was talking about video online it's the collapse of the american dream it's a 30-minute cartoon 
it'll it's entry level into like how the Fed works and stuff. And I'll take it out here. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate that. Um, who does decide? Uh, let's take five points as an example. D- who decides if that if that arrangement ever becomes just dysfunctional, so dysfunctional it can't work any longer? Um, how, walk me through the process of what a local legislator does when something uh, becomes almost dysfunctional as it relates to highways and infrastructure. Anybody want to jump on that? I mean, do you call DOT? Do you call? I mean, how how do you go down that road? Who's responsible? for analyzing and addddressing those sorts of things why are y'all looking at me like y'all? <laughs> <laughs> um i can only tell you what i've had my experience over the years because I, like i said a minute ago and i think philip says well that then probably the number one call we get is roads um you know as a state legislator i, t- I start with calling the south carolina department of transportation i call dot explain the issue um more often than not i end up beside a road somewhere in a ditch somewhere you know uh, talking to the person who called me and getting the DOT person to come out there and we eyeball it together so we can better understand it. Um, more often than not, um, it's something we can try and make a little better, whether it's, you know, clean out a ditch or um, add something to the um, traffic flow that will help the situation. Sometimes DOT will tell me there's just nothing we can do in this particular situation for one of a hundred reasons. I've unfortunately had that experience more than I'd like to have had that experience. And I have to call the uh, constituent back or have the constituent there and say, look, I, you know, we've done what we can do. But unfortunately, because of these reasons, uh, sometimes we have to get the feds involved. You know, we have roads that come through Florence that are, you know, technically federal um, in nature. And so they have a say in it. Local government has a say in some of these things. So it's sometimes it's bringing a b- whole bunch of people to the table and that makes it harder a lot of times to get consensus because you know it's easy to get one or two people to agree or three people perhaps you get four or five people around that table and a, and a solution gets harder but you know more often than not i'm knocking on this table here now when you get them around the table and you tell them this is the problem they'll help find some way to try and help the issue doesn't always work sure getting everybody together has worked more often than I, I want to shift gears. Rev sent me a, an email yesterday that I've not even played, but you said it was something that we talked about in 16, in 2016, after the New Hampshire primary. I ran across it on my computer yesterday, and it was the morning after the New Hampshire primary when Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump had won the Democrat-Republican primaries. And it was your analysis the next day. And it was basically, you know, of course, you were you said some things about Bernie that were not negative. They were talking about the, the I guess the the temperature of the electorate. But your analysis was pretty spot on, and I just I thought it was interesting. I listened to it, and I, that's why I sent it to you. We could be at the beginning of something that led to a different world of politics. I mean, that's that's, right. am I am I you, characterizing? You, kind of, you you read that what the voters were saying uh, with the New Hampshire primary, and of course at that point we didn't know where it was going to go. We didn't know <clears throat> Donald Trump would win South Carolina and then eventually win the presidency. But your analysis was was interesting. Prophetic, I think, is the word you used <laughs> yesterday. Prophetic, well, yeah. and and profound, I think, may yeah. have been another yeah. word there. But but who's who's you know who's talking about prophetic and mm-hmm. being a prophet and and profound, right? Um, but but I want to start with you, Philip, and, and I want to ask you this because um, we had an incumbent congressman uh, do a pretty good job, uh, you know, Ways and Means member, had gained some notoriety and gained some uh, some street cred in Washington, get twenty five percent of the vote in a re-election campaign. Um, and we believe, the three of us, I think, collectively, or the four of us, believe it was it was about one vote, an impeachment vote of uh, former President Donald Trump. But I think the three of you understand 
that it's a different political world right now. I mean, there's a different political animal out there right now. This is not your grandmother's Republican Party. Um, as you work through um, two-year election cycles, four-year election cycles, how aware and studious must you be to understand that there is a sentiment out there that, that is, 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 is very different than it historically has been? Well, I'll tell you, I, I appreciate the fact that Trump got in and, and the crazy way he talked because it's a lot similar to me. I mean, I'm blunt. I'll tell you how it is. I don't mind bring up any subject. We'll talk about it. And, and you know, he was one guy that got in and did what he said he was going to do. And then voters responded to that. They wanted someone to wreck it a little bit. And, and I said, you got to be careful. Everybody isn't a bum up there. And, you know, Rice wasn't a bum. He was a good guy. Sure. But he made a bad vote. And he suffered from it. Uh, any vote we take, we can suffer. And here's my problem is when they distort things. You take something. Let, let's say you voted for the budget. And in the budget somewhere is something that maybe you wouldn't have individually voted for. But then someone gets a mailer out or a phone piece or something and says, oh, so-and-so doesn't like, you know, or he supported abortion because of this, or he he, he didn't want to have this clinic over here. And all those things are not always truthful. And throwing the bums out, you know, anti-establishment, and where it is, you've got to look at our votes and hold us accountable for our votes. I get that. But, but the difficulty is now is how, how do you explain something that someone alleges? It takes you three paragraphs to explain it. And in today's world, people lose you in, after two sentences. They're like, hey, what else are you going to talk about? Yeah. I've had enough of that. And so it, it, we're in that gotcha politics system, too. So as, of course, me being in 16 years, I scratch my head a little bit and go, I wonder how they feel about me. I've been there. Am I a career politician? Or am I the guy that's in the back room that's making deals that makes South Carolina better? So judge us by what we do and not always what one little political ad says we do. Mike, you picked a um, an unusual time to stick your toe to the water of American politics. Um, that, that was kind of a playbook. You did X, Y, and Z, and A, B, and C happened we don't know what X, Y, and Z is now. We really don't know what A, B, and C is. I think Philip makes the most valid point. Everybody in that back room isn't bidding against the American public. I mean, there are guys in that back room working as hard as they can on behalf of average, ordinary Americans. And and I think it's going to be hard to get that side of the argument out. And that's, you know, you're, you're kind of, um you're just starting down the political road. It's challenging. Yeah, it is challenging. And, I you know, when our kids were young, we used to have to, to tell them a phrase kids repeat after me it's not all about me because when you're a child it's all about you it's what you want it's what your needs are it's what you think is right and i I think what we saw in this election this past tuesday is that you better be really careful if you say i did this because i thought it was right because you're not there just for you you're there for the voters and the constituents who put you there and I'm not saying it happens to everyone, but I can certainly see now in the 17 days I've been in the Senate that there's can be a tendency that the longer you're in, if you're not careful, you can become disconnected from the people who put you there. And that's why I've made the commitment. I have got to continue to do the town halls. I've got to travel District 31 over and over to hear what people say so that I don't start becoming so insular and to think that what I think and what I feel and how I process things has got to be right because I've got good intentions and I know 
that what I want to do is right. I better hear what the people have to say. And I think that vote cost Tom Rice the seat because he made it based upon what he felt, not what his constituents felt. Representative Jordan, people are frustrated. Uh, I'm frustrated a lot of times with a lot of things that happen in government. And that's obviously, you know, incredibly true with what comes out of Washington, D.C. I'm proud with a lot of the things that that we did this year at state government to try and and push back on some of the things that were pushed on us from from D.C., you know, things we passed on legislature like, you know, the the, um, gender sports bill. Those are things we shouldn't have to pass. Those are common sense things that, that people overwhelmingly say that that just makes sense. Um, but that's not where we are. And that frustration uh, that uh, largely starts in Washington, I think, overflows into the rest of the country. And then I'll, I'll be 100% honest, there are things we don't get it right 100% of the time at the state house. I don't think Florence County gets it right 100% of the time, or certain, certainly not the city of Florence. Um, but I think we have to, as, as has already been said, we have to do our best to stay plugged in. That's one of the great things about um, Columbia and I'd say local government from there. We're not politicians. <laughs> you know, poli- That's one of those phrases. Everybody likes to hate the politicians and nobody wants to call themselves a politician. But we're not politicians in the traditional sense of the word. We all have jobs. We all have to go to work and make sure we have um, a, a paycheck to put food on the table to feed our families and do those things, just like everybody listening here today. Um, we're not paid, you know, two hundred plus thousand dollars a year, and all those things to to do um, the work of the people supposedly up in Washington. You know, we all we go to work every day and and try and make things happen so that we can uh, be gone three days a week, five months out the year, and then on top of that, whenever we're called into special session, so that we can participate in this and have the honor to participate that go in in uh, the general assembly. Okay, appreciate all three of you, and I mean that sincerely. We'll go take a break. We only got about three minutes. I don't want to keep all three of these guys just for three minutes. You can't ask three politicians to say anything. I mean, that's that's a minute each. I'm not going to put you through that torture. I thought we um, just agreed we're not politicians, Ken. Well, I mean, yeah. you just called us politicians. Well, uh, <laughs> your, your name your name will be on a yard sign. You're still kind of sort of a politician. I agree. I agree. And Jay was at the beach last week. Yeah. Let's, let's, okay, let's, let's get that straight. Good deal. Yeah, we'll put it back on the good team. Thanks to all three of you. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. You know, I was thinking about three legislators, one of the Senate, two in the House, coming in trying to explain why government spends money to a group of people who are highly suspicious of why government needs so much money. I mean, that's that's yeoman's work. That's, that's, I mean, that, that's cool. yeoman's work as far as I'm concerned. Um, I mean, if you go sit down with the uh, with the editorial board at the state and argue about spending money, nobody's really um, grinding on you. Nobody's holding you that accountable um, a lot of those forces and people and voices are sympathetic to government. They're not going to hold you as accountable as the majority of our listeners. So when, when Philip J and Mike come in the studio, they know they're talking to a universe of constituents who don't care much for government, uh, don't trust government, don't believe that government behaves responsibly or does what it is they should do. And they continue to come in here. And I think that deserves um, some credit. I think they deserve credit for stepping into, um, I don't want to say unfriendly territory, but, but but territory who is highly suspicious of what their motivations are and why it is they do what they do. Guys, when you accept the role as a legislator, you have a responsibility to legislate. I mean, you just do. This is not la-la land like Washington. Washington is la-la land. Uh, you may legislate. You may not. You may budget. You may not. I think one of the most interesting things these guys talk about is the budget. I mean, they actually budget. 
that they have to be held accountable, constitutionally required to balance that budget. In the federal government, there's something called autopilot, continuing resolutions. They budget if they choose. If they don't, they just let last year's budget or the year before. Some of these built-in increases embedded in uh, the government. And I think for these three guys to do the work as diligently as I know they do, take their jobs as seriously as I know they do, and step into somewhat hostile territory every single Friday morning and defend, explain why it is they did what they did and why they believe um, that was the best and right thing to do to a group who really and truly, the second a politician opens their mouth, we all, and I'm as guilty of this, I mean, I'm, I'm probably one of the most guilty souls there is on not trusting government to do what it is they say they're going to do. Um, I think they deserve some credit for, um, for stepping into a, a forum of which they're normally highly questioned as to whether they're doing uh, the right and appropriate thing and, or and not. And they were bringing some good news today about tax rebates and yeah. lower income tax rates. And, and, and a pretty decent explanation of um, you know, the, um, the, the net tax, the gross tax, the effective tax, the statutory tax. You know, um, Tennessee's got a better tax rate than we do. Do they? Uh, Florida's got a better tax rate. Do they? I mean, I think there's a lot of different ways. What I what I heard is we don't do a good job of marketing in ourselves against some of the southern neighbors. Tennessee will tell you loudly and proudly we're a zero percent income tax state. You know, Florida and Texas. How do we know that? We know that because they marketed the tax advantages they offer to people who make investments in those states. Now, what are the quandaries we're going to have? And we'll get into this probably next week. The income state, the percent of revenue generated by or spent by the General Assembly generated by the income taxes in decline because a lot of people are moving on the coast and not generating an income, passive income. They're not paying income tax on that, capital gains and some other ways. Take a break. Back in a few minutes. Takes Mondays to make Fridays, 843-661-0937. little Springsteen on a Friday morning. That's mm-hmm. to the boss plays with Paul McCartney last night. So, excuse me, Sir Paul McCartney. There you go. You know, a country boy right. from Freehold, right? Uh, who does a boy from Freehold think he is to be playing with a former Beatle named Sir Paul McCartney? Um, Rev is a, a closet elitist. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Why do you say that? Because he's a, your, your biggest, I mean, your former Beatle, your your Sir Paul McCartney, and you remember the fan club mm. of Sir Paul McCartney. Um, we don't yeah. knight people in America. <laughs> we, we just don't do that. Yeah, we kind of do. We elect him. We call him the Honorable Senator, the Honorable House well, Member. That's true. Um, uh, anyway, eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. We settled a couple of scores here this morning in that um, we were led to believe early in the show that Buzz Lightyear had, you know, kind of drifted off a bit and became. Um, There's been some headlines lately yeah, about about the, a Toy Story. Um, the new Lightyear movie. There's there's a movie. What's the name of the movie? Is it Lightyear? Okay, it's not it's not Toy Story Point Twenty Seven. No. Um, so we've got the, the new movie named Lightyear. And so that would have been the similar to the transition of um, First Blood to Rambo, or Rambo to First Blood. You get personalized. Uh, so Lightyear is a, it's a uh, takeoff of Toy Story. And in it, there's a scene. And we were led to believe, or I was led to believe. Let me back up. I was led to believe that Buzz Lightyear kissed another dude. Um, but that's not the case. Um, one of his lesbian uh, robotic associates, <laughs> computerized and cartoonish associates, kissed another girl. So there's a lesbian scene in Lightyear, but it doesn't include 
our beloved Buzz Lightyear. Right. He's still as straight as the day is long, <laughs> and it's to infinity and beyond until the cows come home. So, uh, so there you go. Uh, Disney. <laughs> what are you? That's just funny. It is funny. I mean, and these are crazy. These are fictional, made-up <laughs> characters. Why? And Tim Allen is not allowed to be the voice of Buzz Lightyear yeah. because somebody at Disney found out that Tim Allen voted for Donald Trump and is a con- somewhat of a conservative voice in a uh, world where conservative voices are not tolerated. Um, so Tim Allen no longer has the job of being the voice of, of Buzz Lightyear. And, and, and I don't know if I can watch a Buzz Lightyear without Tim Allen's voice. Well, I mean, I'd, I'd watch it if I thought Buzz was going to kiss another dude. <laughs> I mean, there, there's just something, <laughs> something kind of, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a sucker. I'm no different <laughs> than anybody else. Um, I would watch it just for that, you know, to see how they pull that off. Oh. Uh, animation, computerized animation, uh, robot, uh, spaceman. Yeah, what do you call Buzz Lightyear? Computerized, generated, um, or computer animated, Disney endorsed spaceman kisses another dude. I mean, that's that's a kind of a. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Yeah. You're right. They kept him on the straight and narrow, literally and figuratively. And um, but but he has a lesbian. He has a lesbian associate. And in the name of celebrating wokeism and and political correctness, um, they are they're having a scene during. Wonder what old Buzz will do when the two chicks kiss one another? Huh? <laughs> well, I, uh, I guess you have to watch the movie. Yeah, I, I mean know. he's famous for to infinity and beyond. What will be the um, what will be the uh, what will Buzz say once to female, <laughs> computer generated, animated, cartoonish figure? I guess. I mean, I don't know. Uh, Freehold don't have any idea what he what he'll do in response to. Yeah, he may won't call them sad, strange little men. Yeah. The one thing I want you to do, if you don't mind, we're doing this in real time, and I, I aggravate you in the break by swapping songs on you. I'm going down and downbound train. Are two different songs, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, Rev had one in the. Um, I think well, you, well, said, you, you said I said what Springsteen song you want? You said I'm going down. Yeah. Said, oh, that was that was that's that kind was of a hit. hit. Yeah. I'll get, I grabbed that one out of the system and. And then, it up. But, but when you said it's a hit, I'm going like, no, it's not. No downbound train was not a hit not at all yeah. and that's when i realized i'd given you the wrong yeah. the wrong song but Rand paul and dr fauci uh were together they weren't together and they didn't kiss um <laughs> i think fauci was on zoom and Rand paul well, remember was there. he tested positive well, for COVID this week. you kind of wonder whether he tested positive for COVID or didn't want to face uh the libertarian Rand paul in one of these hearings but uh in typical fashion anytime Rand paul and Dr. Fauci get together. It makes the news. I watched a little bit of it this morning. It's about seven minutes and 18 seconds. I'm going to get Rev, if he can, in real time, try to um, retrieve that um, that audio, which is probably a visual as well, but obviously we can't, you know, put that over the air because we're a it's audio forum. It's You're radio. right. I mean, we're, we're, we're a medium that uh, the spoken word is what we do here. Um, do you have it? Working on it. Uh, okay. He's still working on it there. Um Rand Paul did what he always does, took Fauci to task on, you know, are you telling us the truth? Did you get paid? But but this this back and forth, he paid a little closer attention to, did you get paid? How many associates of yours have gotten paid? And, and, and somebody, basically ro- royalties from companies that you later uh, got or that you, you oversaw that you later correct. sent money to. Yeah, in other words, um, you know, you get a royalty from Pfizer because – I don't know. You did some work on behalf of Pfizer, maybe clinical trial work. I don't have any got it. Research and development don't have any idea. I did find the seven minutes. It's and about 30, seven minutes yeah. and 30 some odd seconds long. You got it. Yeah. Let's, let's play that if you don't mind. I mean, as we conclude the week, anytime Fauci and Paul speak to one another, I'm about as interested in that as I am, you know, 
two animated chicks kissing one another. Um, so, because I'm very interested in that. Let's go to Fauci and Rand Paul. Now, remember, um, Fauci is not there. He's um, he's on camera. He's on quadruple Zoom. vaccinated, um, quintuple boosted, but the son of a gun still got COVID. I would imagine that. I think he said somebody on twi- Twitter put um the the vac excuse me the virus met its maker yeah eh, okay that's pretty coy <laughs> yeah, I, I wish i'd come up with that that was good um because many believe fauci is somewhat responsible for allowing the um the research what do they call it the i'm gonna remember back in the day we do it like the back of our hand the uh the sort of research done that allowed this to happen what do they call it i mean you remember what it, Anyway, the the, the language the, escapes the, the me. Wuhan, the Wuhan yeah, lab, the Wuhan virology lab, at John Stewart's famous um, stand-up uh, chain of function. Remember that? No, not chain of function. Uh, I'll try to look it up while we're listening to Fauci and Rand Paul. But let's do that if you don't mind. Seven minutes, some odd seconds. Um, Congress, excuse me, Senator uh, Rand Paul from Kentucky uh, taking to task once again uh, the founder and maker of I'm kidding. Uh, the guy that has COVID, we wish you well. With all seriousness, we don't want anybody to have any more complications with COVID. So we certainly wish Anthony Fauci well. We don't like anything else he did, but we're still a fan of him getting better. Let's go there. You know, we don't like to instigate things here, <laughs> <laughs> do, do we? I want to leave there for a second. I just thought it'd be interesting for you to hear this well, Friday it sounds morning. Like Fauci got paid. Of course he got paid. I mean, of course he got paid. Everybody in Washington figures out a way to get paid follow the money i mean i'm disappointed in you a bit i mean i, I really am and I, I get you're frustrated with disney because you're a big disney fan yeah uh, mccartney performs with springsteen that gets you conflicted i mean i no. understand where you are emotionally <laughs> but, but i still expected you to remember the one thing that i've the one truism in the 10 years we've been on the air together right. has been follow the money not, not some, some of, the, of time, the time not most, most of, of the time, time all of the John Brown time. time. All of the John Brown times. We both cleaned it up a bit there. You yep. went darn, I went uh, John Brown. Yep. And, and I don't like to stir it up, but we got to stir it up here. We got about 30 minutes this morning. Ooh, good. Um, I'm getting conflicting reports, and this is a local issue. And you know how we hate to delve into local, oh, <laughs> into local, right. into local issues. Um, we don't hate it, but some people do. I, I got some information late yesterday afternoon that there was a an economic development project heading our way and i'd heard about this a couple of weeks ago um but now there's conflicting reports out there media reports and i'm trying to find out exactly um where this is happening but the latest i have when it comes to economic development and florence county uh the city of florence uh you know our stomping grounds so to speak there's a chicken uh well let me back up let me be let me do it this right a poultry, poultry processing facility and after for the country that's killing chickens <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what it is so there's a poultry processing plant that's going to have 402 employees 10 million dollar investment and there were varying and conflicting media reports about where it's going the latest i have and i could be wrong but the latest i have is from a couple of folks close to the situation and they have it going at 2901 west darlington street that is the intersection of Hoffmeyer and Darlington Street. That would, if anybody listening is familiar, that's Palmetto Peddler. I mean, that would be the back property. They got a couple of ball fields there. Some, um, you know, I say you see people hitting golf balls out there 
occasionally soccer practice and whatnot, but it's a half mile from Five Points. And if you asked anybody in Florence, what is a city center? I mean, you got downtown, I get that. But if you asked anybody, what is the center of commerce in Florence? It would be Five Points. If you saw, if you if five people met at the city center, it wouldn't be downtown. It would be at Five Points. That's kind of the um, it's close enough to everything. It's uh, it's function or malfunction junction mm-hmm. on steroids, and so so we potentially have four hundred and two people killing chickens. A half mile from processing poultry. Yeah, well, there you go. Processing poultry. Let's be fair. So, so if this report is right, I don't know if it is or not, but if this report is right, then we have 402 people every day killing chickens one half mile from five points. Is that what we want to do? I mean, is, I get it's, it's a, it's a, it's a property for sale. Somebody bought it. They're going to convert it to some, uh, let's be poultry processing plant. It's one half mile from five points. Um, will there be any public outcry? Will people be animated and bothered by that reality? You know, we talk a lot about the state growing and we're not growing. And I mean, I've still got a big lawsuit here from the county about this um, low income housing project that was going to be 100 feet or 100 yards mm-hmm. from, uh, from five right points. There. What's happening here? I mean, is this what county leadership or city leadership believes is in all of our best interests? And already trying to get through five points, say, on a Friday afternoon, especially during the spring and well, summer. Be, once again, now, this is a report, and and I've got it somewhat validated. Um, I told you this morning, you said you've read it in a couple of different places, mm-hmm. um, 2901 West Darlington Street. But there's also another report that says it's going out of the Commerce Park beside the new Niagara Water Facility. Um, guys, we don't need people killing chicken. We don't need 400 people killing chickens a half mile from five points. Okay. I mean, I'm not a rocket scientist. I'm not an urban planner, but I'm not a damn moron. And we don't need 400 people in a plant every day, killing chickens a half mile from five points. I mean, that, that, the absurdity of that is beyond belief as far as I'm concerned. Now, once again, that may not be the case because I've seen some media reports that have it out of the commerce park. But if indeed local leadership believes it's a good idea to allow a chicken killing plant. And there is no G on chicken killing. I mean, that is a K-I-L-L. There, there's a franchise in Charleston called Kickin' Chicken, and they don't have G's on the end. So if the holy city can have a chicken franchise without a G, certainly I can uh, ascribe to my former life and killing and not killing. Um, so we're going to have potentially a kicking, excuse me, a, well, not a kicking <laughs> no. chicken. Well, I mean, they, they may end up there. I mean, they, they, you know, the chickens that are killed a half mile from five points may end up at a kicking chicken chicken in, uh, in Charleston or Mount Pleasant. I, I don't get that. I mean, I, I don't understand that. Who thinks that is a good idea? I don't know. I don't have any idea. Uh, is that the location? Don't know. But 2901 West Darlington Street um, c- kind of leads me to that location and – Wow, that's pretty odd. That's, I mean, you're not in your head. Yeah. I mean, you're less of a troublemaker than I am. Uh, you kind of at times distance yourself from me, and I understand that because you've got a reputation to preserve. I don't. I mean, I've been to the newspaper for a month. It doesn't bother me when people say unpleasant, when they, unpleasant thing. I've been thrown out of political office. Do with me what you choose. I had a football coach tell me one time, they may kill you, but they probably won't eat you. I've kind of ascribed to that uh, philosophy of Great. life. But but who thinks that's a good idea oh. if that is indeed the case? Well, first, we need again, some clarification, well, I mean, obviously. We do, and I'm getting, I'm getting um, conflicting reports as we speak. 
old sawmill property across from the Nissan dealership. Um, here we go. With some, uh, how can county? How can the county think this is a good idea? Either way, it's going to stink. That matter. <laughs> where it is, I'm just glad we got six listeners because I got six texts right. from people who um are talking a little bit about it. Look, we're going to try to find more. I mean, we're going to try to find out more about this as the days progress. I've got the weekend to really explore and find out exactly. But I've got a press release here from the Economic Development Partnership that says 2901 West Palmetto Street. And um, if, if that's Dar- the case, Darlington Street. Well, let me, Darlington Street, I'm sorry, which is the um the, the intersection of Hoffmeyer and and Darlington Street, uh, and maybe maybe that's where you know you smoke to kill chickens a half mile from your your city center. I just find that odd, bizarre, and woefully lacking a vision. If that is indeed the case, um, now I can hear some people say, "Well, he lives down that road, or he lives at a bit down that road." You turn back and you go this. Yeah, I do. I do. Doesn't bother me. I grew up in the country. I mean, you know, chicken killing facilities. It's part of my life, you know, hog farms and all these other sorts of things. I'm not anywhere near as bothered as some of the um, some of the socialites that live in my neighborhood may be. I'm just thinking about five points. I'm thinking about, you know, it, it's, a, it's a four iron to five points. And if 400 people are going to that facility every day to kill chickens at a poultry processing plant, is that really where we want it to take place? A half mile from what we have probably unofficially designated as our, you know, city center of commerce and business activity, it's pretty odd to me. Let's go to the phone. Eddie in Florence. Hi, Eddie. Hey, good morning. How are you guys doing? Hey, Eddie. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Uh, well, I wanted to mention to you, um, I, I work do, uh, uh, doing windshields, so I go out to Dillon out there at Purdue. And uh, if they really want to see what's, what it affects around the area is, Go check out those uh, flies they have flying around that place. Um, you're talking about thousands, thousands, and the smell is god-awful. So I'll just leave it at that, but it's not a good spot to be putting that thing in that close to Florence. Yeah, I, I don't know. A chicken process, do they kill the – is it a poultry processing plant? I don't have any idea. And yeah, once again yeah, – they, they bring them in live, and they kill them, and then they go out on trucks. Okay, thank you, sir. Appreciate that. And I'm getting info. I got more info. They don't actually kill or defeather there. The chicken comes in frozen and then go back out. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, it's still a half mile from Five Points. That's a pretty bizarre place to do that. 400 people in and out of that road. Not to mention with, the shipping. Yeah, with all the congestion, and... it's just kind of odd. Anyway, it's a interesting, uh, but it's commercial property. Yeah. And I would imagine I don't have any idea what zoning and how what sort of um what were there any public involvement? Did the public was the public made aware? That potentially someone wants to, um, I mean, they don't actually kill or defeather there. Wow, won the lottery. Um, the chicken comes in frozen, then they go back out. I've got another um, text here that says, hold on, because you guys are helping me a lot here this morning. Uh, to my knowledge, it's not killing, it's processing. I think it's the S&W building. Uh, that's the one I've referred to. I've got another saying um, that it may not be there. It may be uh, somewhere else. Uh I'm getting a lot of information here that I didn't ask for, but well, I kind of am asking. <laughs> yeah, you are asking for it. You did um, ask for it. Well, I mean, the, the point I'm trying to it's not, so it's not a um it's not a kill plant. So so we you know we're kind of the woods there. Um, but it is a a processing plant, and it is a half mile from Five Points. I mean that that's the only point. And look, I'm I'm not being critical of anybody. I don't know what went into the decision making process. That is an incredibly busy road. I mean that's a that's a real congested uh, intersection there. 
And if you've got 400 people going to work, I want people to go to work. And I want chicken to eat. So, so I'm not trying to be obstinate nor difficult. Uh, I just think it's, it's interesting that you find out one day, a half mile from Five Points, there's going to be a poultry processing plant that employs 400 people. I am very supportive of processing poultry. I am unbelievably supportive of 400 people finding a job and going to work. Um, I am unbelievably supportive of agribusiness. I mean, this would fall under the agribusiness um, category. So, so I'm I'm all about that. But but was there not another facility or not another property to find to locate that sort of um, endeavor than being you know? And, and what what other places is there a? Well, I'm thinking about you know, there's a Zaxby's what a block away. I'm gonna save on freight. I mean, they, they, you know, maybe, maybe well, there's that. Yeah, that, that would save on. You could walk there. I mean, Zaxby should never run out of chicken <laughs> at that location. Uh, there's actually a KFC KFC's across the road. Yeah. Too. Yeah. yeah, and there you go. We're logistically um, saving <laughs> now you know, with, with shipping costs yeah. and whatnot. It may, be a, a, it may be a move on the fuel dynamic. You know, we got a big uh, problem with fuel and shipping, and logistics is a big part. Uh, when, when diesel goes up, and diesel's over five bucks a gallon, I mean, shipping, you know, product from point A to point B gets very expensive. Um, did anybody know about this? That'd be very interesting to me. Did anybody know about that? Is, is that highest and best use of that property? I just think these are questions, and we have a certain obligation to be troublemakers. I'm sorry, to be um, uh, to raise community awareness. Awareness. And we're trying to do that. So, yeah. so once again, I'll get to the bottom of it. I'll have a better opinion. Um, here we go now. It's, behind the, it's beside the Crown Beverage plant. That's the only person that's telling me that three or four. I got one, two, three. I got four that have said no. It's the um, it's at the corner of Hoffmeyer and and uh, Darlington Street. I got another says it's now. There, there's a media report that says it's in the um in the Commerce Park out on 327 beside the new water bottling facility. Don't know uh, what that is. And once again, I'm not opposed to killing chickens. I'm not opposed to processing poultry. I love 400 people having a new place to go to work. It's just a little bit unique to have all that happening one half mile from Five Points, which has a, what, a Starbucks, and uh, you, you got restaurants, you got a lot of other um, commercial endeavors around there. You got a Florence Mall, which would be directly kind of catty-cornered across the street. That's just so the, the, the processing plant will be between Walmart and the mall. <laughs> just, right. You know, in one half mile from... What I still argue is the city center. I mean, if you said, where's the center of Florence? Most people would say five points. You know, Florence has got a downtown, and, and, and what has happened downtown, we're all to be uh, thankful for. Uh, just just you know, once again, let, let's find out, you know, what went into making this decision. Uh, is it unzoned? Is it zoned? Is it, uh, well, apparently it's probably unzoned. Uh, and what sort of, what sort of donings, uh, what sort of zoning designation designation is required to have a poultry processing plant. I think I'm comfortable now because I know these folks that are texting me this. Um, I think I'm comfortable now. It's not a chicken killing, uh, a chicken killing plant. So we've gotten off the hook there. They're not wringing necks and slaughtering chickens, you know, a half mile from five so points. Processing, packaging. Processing, packaging, poultry. Okay. I, I guess the biggest concern I'd have is 400 employees, you know, at five o'clock in the afternoon trying to get out of that very congested area. But um, it's, it's you know it's economic development, it's commerce, it's um, it's it's jobs, it's employment, it's all these good things. Um, but it's still one half mile away from your city center, and to me, uh, there, 
how many people were aware of this? How many people were involved in this? How many people knew about this? I found out late yesterday afternoon. I heard something a couple of weeks ago about a poultry processing plant uh, being ready to announce they were coming to Florence. I'd heard this from some of the political scuttlebutt I hear here and there. I just never imagined it would be there. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's go to the phone. Here is DW in Florence. Morning, sir. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hey, hey. How are you? You know, I'm doing great, man. You know, another lifetime, years and years ago, I worked for a company. I had a chicken process. I used to have to service a chicken process in place. <clears throat> the smell was unbelievable. I mean, five miles outside, you could smell it out in the middle of nowhere. It was in Bethune. And, man, it was terrible. So uh, I don't think that we're going to really want to do that. We need to leave the chicken killing to at Death Valley and at Williams-Brice Stadium instead of other stuff. You know what I mean? So go Tigers. You guys have a good weekend. See you later. Yeah, Mr. Funny Man. He oh, wants to be Mr. Yeah. Funny Man at the end. You know how DWS wants to be Mr. Funny Man. I would expect no less. At the end. Um, <laughs> I saw DWS today has some cute socks on. He's got some sort of circulation problem in his legs. Oh. Kick them socks off that leg. <laughs> Talking about my fighting game, Cox. <laughs> you wait till year after next. You just wait <laughs> just until the yeah, year. Right. <laughs> wait until <laughs> until the year after next. 843-661-0937. I'm getting a lot of different. I mean, it's interesting. I guess the power of, uh, of uh, you know, media we live that every now and then. Um, now I'm getting it's uh, it's in the industrial park behind Palmetto Peddler. Uh, may not be in the building joined to Palmetto Peddler. There's an industrial park that has, um, that's just a lot of people. I mean, 400 employees, uh, you know, leaving and coming at the same time. I don't know, is it shift work or how many people? I mean, th- these are just questions that I have. And, and, you know, nobody owes me an answer. They certainly don't owe me an answer. I'm not an elected official. I'm not the chairman of the Economic Development Partnership. But I'm the not community a city council know. member. Well, I mean, to me, um, that, that's pretty significant. Yeah. I mean, that, that's and in generally, this is great news. I mean, it's sure. business, it's jobs, sure. it's commerce, right? But when I when I heard the news, I mean, I, I have a very simple way of breaking things down. You've told me that's why you think I'm somewhat effective mm-hmm. on the radio, taking complex issues and breaking them down to simple statements. Uh, we're going to process poultry a half mile from five points. Is that good or not? I, you know, I'll let the public, the, the, the you know, the, the community will decide that or not. Let's go to the phone. Richard in Florence. Hello, Richard. Hey, uh, Ken. You know, I, I, we seem to talk most and most confidently about things that we don't know a darn thing about. Uh, I know a little bit about this Carolina Foods. They're, they've been located in Florence for, I don't know, 10, 20 years. You said I talk uh, confidently. Is that what you said? Yeah, I said, yeah, we don't. Sometimes we talk most about confidently about things that we don't know anything about. Yeah, but I, what, what, I think I've been very clear yeah, that I don't we know. We don't I mean, know. I've said over and over and over again, I don't know. Let me just let me just try to edify you a little bit. Sure. This uh, this processing plant that you're talking about is has been in Florence for I don't know 15 or 20 years, and they're still operating there, and they've always been there. It's a it's a it's a big freezer is what it is, and that's what this expansion is going to be is another big freezer. And they they're a big company, and they're all over. They they've merged with a company out of Georgia, and and they're expanding, and they're going they're going to have approximately at that location, that new location, are probably around two hundred people, and not four hundred. But they're a big company, and they're going to add four hundred well, in this area. So why do the media say four hundred? Well. They're going to add more 400 people. It's for the company. The company is doing an expansion. And so it's, it's, uh, 
So they're adding 402 employees. That's right. Okay. But they, they've been over on Chase Street for doing what, we're, what they'll be doing on Darlington Street for the last 20 years. It's the it's the most sanitary thing. It's next to a daggone hospital. I mean, it's it's not any killing of anything. It's bringing in frozen caucuses and using water jets to precisionly carve that tur that chicken into stuff to be used by, you know, uh, Zaxby's and and uh, Burger King and Popeyes and all the rest of those people. And uh, and they they're not. Employees will be coming from all over, and they'll be shopping in that area. You're right. But the trucking will be going out to the interstate and, and down to different distribution points. And that's, they're just a mile and a half or two miles from, from I-20, I-95 interchange. Gotcha. And, and, the, I, and the, the mention about the industrial park means that the county extended the industrial park privileges to that location that exists for the people out for the say like niagara it's the same it's considered the same the same industrial park as niagara for the purpose of uh well you do cross uh, you cross county tax credits i mean when some of these depressed that's and right yeah i mean that's I, right I've, I've been involved right. in that as a member of county council okay I mean, well they, they were trying to make a decision whether they put that there or whether they put it in in hartwell georgia and so we could take we could take those 200 jobs or we could tell them. But I thought it's 400 way. jobs. The, the, the press release says 402 jobs. You keep saying 200. Is it well, 200 or 400? Well, it's 400 total is what they're anticipating. But I'm just, that, what I understand is they're looking about 200 there to start off with in that location. Gotcha. But uh, you know how that is. Like, I mean, they're going to employ other people elsewhere. So they anticipate they're going to employ about 400 people more than what they're employing now over a period of some period of time. Yeah. If they don't do it, they don't get the tax credit. Well, there's clawback provisions of some of those incentive agreements. That's right. Yeah. And if you don't, if you don't state uh, a large number, in, then you're limited to what you do state. Thank you, Richard. Appreciate now the heads we know up. More yeah, than we now, now we know more than we did. Yeah. I still get a couple of texts here with different. Um, there you go. Uh, okay, let's take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. 